Episode 16. My guest today is Sergeant Pete Almeida from the US Marine Corps. He serves with Victor 28 out on the east coast of the US. He has an extremely interesting story to tell, uh, which I'm not going to dive too deep into right now. You're just going to have to pin your ears back and soak up the juicy content. He grew up moving around the world with his parents. His father was a pastor. He's got a degree in theology, which is a study of God. Yes, I had to Google that before we recorded the, the episode. Uh, and he's studying a master's degree at the same time, has still been a full-time dad to two young kids and an active duty Marine. If you want to know how he manages that, you're in the right place because we talk about it. We talk about a bunch of shit from growing up poor, how to affect change in a toxic environment and mastering your craft, whatever that may be. Make sure you share the fuck out of this one. And give Pete a follow on the gram at pr.alm uh, and go onto his page and like and share the fire plan sketch post. That's how I found this proud goddamn American patriot. Oh, zero four zero alpha confirm that's bombs dropping on Mansdrak. Fucking hell! So, like, where are you located? Like, right now, are you on base? Yeah, no, right now I'm in North Carolina, um, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, I'm not on base. Um, we we live out of town. So w- right. when I leave work. I want to leave work, you know. <laughs> I uh, I spent ten years in the army, and I spent ten years living on base. <laughs> these guys, uh, these have got um, B A H allowance, is it? Yeah, B A H. Yeah. So uh, when my so my wife's actually a guard, and she was activated for a while there, and we were getting B A H and. Jesus Christ, I couldn't believe the amount of money she was getting on top of her wage. We don't get anything like that. Damn. Yeah, so we get like a basic uh, wage and then that's it. Do, do they give you an option to live out of town? Uh, yeah, you can live out, out, out of the barracks if you want, but you're, you're paying like the, the local rate and, you know, there's no, there's no help for it. Uh, most of the guys, because the UK is quite small, most of the guys will have a home in their hometown and then either each weekend they'll commute to and from work or maybe if they're a bit further afield they'll maybe i don't know maybe commute every two or three weeks or whatever um but if that would if that was the case most guys would probably be living on the uh the military accommodation you know the the family's estate but um yeah we don't it's not really it's not really done out out here where you get a bunch of guys and buy a house together or live in a house together, um, which I think is uh, the case over in the States. I've heard that a few times anyway. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, right, so <clears throat> we'll probably get started then. Yeah, um, uh, I want to say I have two kids. My oldest is three and my youngest is 10 months. So if you hear them running around or screaming, 
uh, don't panic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Pete, yeah. That, yeah, go little, for it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. That the little, because um, you, you do have an intro on your videos. It's it's like gunfire sound. Um, is that is that you? No, no, no. So the 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 first, the very first clip is a uh, squad leader from my platoon in uh, in Afghanistan, two thousand and nine. Um, he had a. <laughs> He had a journalist with him from The Guardian, I think, and he had a cameraman with the, with the journalist to obviously document everything. And it just so happens that we got in a big, big firefight and he was recording him um, acting as a fire support commander for an assault section going down to the right. They were doing a right flank on a position, so it's fucking pretty cool. Um, at the time, I had no idea that like the camera guy was rolling or like any of this would ever come out. But it's, I think the video has got like ten million views now online. It's it's absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, so like I was like I was on a tree line um, with like a, a two foot wall uh, out to the right of him, his uh, his section. Um, I don't know about fifty meters away or something like that as that was going on. So it's not me, but it's my my platoon. Which is pretty cool. Um, I'll probably put a link in the in the description to the to the actual video, the start of the video. Um, but the intro music or the intro clip that I've got is just a, a bunch of YouTube clips that I've picked out um, of British soldiers from from Afghan. It's just you know it's easy as what I know, so I just mashed them together in a couple of hours or however long it took. But um, that's that. What made you? Um you know, have this initiative come up with a podcast? Um, fucking coronavirus, man. I was literally like, I, I lost my job. Uh, I lost my job um, in mid, mid-May. mid So like start of May, mid-May, I lost my job. And then for a month, two months, there was literally no work going on. So I started it in um, June, I think, like that. Some sometime in sometime in May or June, I started this, and just out of boredom, honestly. And you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts anyway. And you know, there's one that I've I'm, I could quite openly say that I'm plagiarizing a hundred percent is a guy called Andy Stump. He's a, a U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, he's retired now, but he hosts one. He used to be like a fucking crazy base jumper and stuff like that like elite level base jumper um and he was on the joe rogan podcast and then the uh, rogan was like you need to fucking do one of these podcasts like you, you'd be brilliant at it and like the more and more i listen to it, the more and more i think like these guys that i know and that a generation that i know you never hear any of them all you hear is these guys that are fucking special forces you know that have that get their other special forces friends on, but then you've got hundreds of thousands of, you know, tens of thousands of UK troops and hundreds of thousands of troops throughout the, the world that have been deployed for the past 20 years, but you hardly ever hear from like a, an enlisted guy or like a uh, just a regular, you know, captain or a platoon leader or whatever. Um, you only hear about like the the special group. So although my... Although my my podcast is small, I, I want to keep it niche and it's specific to infantry because that's that's really my subject matter expert. I'm the subject matter expert of that. That's what I know. Um, and 
although I'll be happy to take a guest who is a who is uh, well known in, in the community, I do really want to keep it to guys who <clears throat> you know, who are just regular Joes. You know what I mean? Mums and dads cutting about doing their own things. Unless the guys still in the military right now, you know, um, not guys who have kind of made a career out of them. You know interviews and TV appearances and the well-known guys. Like, of course, if fucking David Goggins was like, oh, when I come to your podcast, I'm not going to say no, but my ambition is to try and keep it to the to the regular regular guys like me and you. Hell yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's get kicking off, Pete. Tell everyone uh, in, a, in a brief bio who you are and where you're from. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said, I was born in Brazil. Uh, I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. When I was when I was a kid, eventually moved to Florida. Then I I uh, went to college. Finally joined the Marine Corps when I was 24. It was about six years ago. Um, I'm up. I'm just the grunt. Um, uh, 0311 by trade, which is just a rifleman. Um, yeah, I live in North Carolina. I'm a I'm a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And yeah. Um. <clears throat> awesome. So you're 24 when you joined, and that's that's it's not late to join the military, but it's definitely not the the average age. So what were you up to um, before you before you joined? What what sort of things were you doing? Um, so I I didn't like waste time, right? Um, I went to boot camp, and all my drill instructors called me War Dodger. Like, hey, you missed the war, man. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't wasting time, right? Um, I did go to college. I had, uh, I held several jobs. Um, my old man is a preacher, so uh, church has been a big part of my life. I've always been involved in church. Um, I did Bible school before I joined the military. That's how I met my wife. And yeah, I, I had to, had a job uh, cutting grass, and then eventually I, I cleaned Burger King at night. Um, and then when I was in college, uh, I had a decent job um, at a um, Fort Lauderdale uh, executive airport that's in South Florida. And there's a company that used to sell airplanes, and uh, I, I was an assistant to the marketing manager. So, uh, yeah. Jeez, sounds pretty fucking official. Yeah. <laughs> you making good money down there? I did. Um, for the time I did. I mean, I used to make more money than what I make now as a sergeant, a six-year sergeant. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in terms of, like, life uh, fulfillment, what, what were you at there? Like, what was your level at when you were in Fort Lauderdale? I was really happy. Um, yeah? Life was great. Uh, I had, I mean, I, I look at you, man, and I miss my beard. I had a, a long ass beard. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I had a had a normal life. I, mean, I was, was a happy kid. Uh, I decided to join because I, I watched the video uh, of the the, uh, the ISIS Hajis killing a bunch of Egyptians, decapitating them. I don't know. It was it was a propaganda video for them, and it went viral. Yeah. I watched the video and I brought up the fact that, you know, let's, let, let's like do something about it. And everyone in my church, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll pray about it. Like, okay, well, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but I believe in prayer, but there, there's times that you need to 
physically do something about it. Right. Uh, I talked to my dad, he gave me his support. And two weeks later, uh, I went to the army, uh, recruiter and I, I guess he thought I was cuckoo bananas because, uh, I was like, Hey man, I legit, I'm here to kill bad people. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I scared him away, but he was the one who took me right next door to the Marine Corps recruiter. Really? Yeah. That's, that's fucking brilliant. It was wild. My wife is a, my wife's a guard recruiter, or she was, she just, uh, she just uh, quit because it's fucking a shit job. Um, but she would, she would tell me about the kids that, literally the kids that would come in, uh, and you know, I'm not, I'm not shitting on the guard at all because they've got a place and a purpose. But uh, she'd tell me about the kids that would come in and they're basically being dragged in there with, by their parents, you know, holding their mum and dad's hand. Uh, they're in there for two hours doing the interview and whatever and getting all paperwork done and they don't open their mouth at all. Their parents are doing all the talking for them. And, you know, and I was just like, what the fuck? I'm like, these, like, literally kids, they've got no grip or no determination, no balls about them. Um, she's like, oh no, no, they're not all like that. I'm saying, but even still, like you, like you can't, jo- you can't expect to join the military and not have even a little bit about it. So, um, but I would say that mostly what she was telling me, the guys are kind of in it, in it for other reasons rather than rather than killing fucking hajis and killing ISIS. You know what I mean? They're maybe going to get their college degree out of it, or you know, a little bit of. Um, free healthcare or what I, I don't know really exactly what it is but it certainly doesn't seem like the main motivation is to fucking kick doors and shoot people in the face the bad guys in the face um but yeah the marine corps i'm pretty sure they're good at that yeah <laughs> uh so the opening question that i wanted to ask you then <clears throat> this is going to get this is going to get some people well, not people but because no women fucking listen to this but if there was ever to be women that listen to this, it's maybe going to get a little bit triggered right now. Recent news in the U.S. Marines uh, that, are, that are done today, uh, some research, uh, they were talking about um, gender segregation at boot camp. What do you think about gender segregation at boot camp? Should they be integrated with uh, all male platoons? Uh, man, like, I'm not big in... I consider that shit to be all politics, right? And I'm not big in politics. Uh, I don't pay attention to it, right? And political turmoil is nothing new. Like, like you study the Roman Senate, you'll see that, you know, people were fighting back then. And it's it's for the same bull crap. Um, Here's my point of view, right? Um, People pay a lot of attention, right? This is what's wrong with our country today, right? Because when I look at a black person, I don't see black. I just see a person, right? I look at a blonde girl. I don't see a blonde girl. I just see a female, right? We don't pay attention to these details. Like, there's no racism in in the military. We're all brothers, right? Regardless. Yeah. I've served with – I've served with a gay dude – and we, we deployed to uh, Djibouti, Africa, and it's the middle of nowhere, right? And we lived together um, sort of like a squad bay. It was a tent in the middle of the desert. There, uh, there was like 50 of us. It was a platoon plus the attachments. And we used to fuck around all the time, right? Like, hey, man, like, hey, 
who would you jerk off to today, right? And this dude would come up, <laughs> hey, I, I, thought of, I thought of him, right? And it was this, like, this day, gay dude, no one discriminated. I mean, yeah. we all loved him as a brother, and he carried his own weight. Like, he never fell behind on any hike, never gave excuses. Like, the dude was legit. Right now, I was – no, I was happy to serve with him. He's, he's out of the Marine Corps doing big and better things. So, I mean, like, if you want to put girls and guys together, by all means, um, my issue is, is she able to carry her own weight? When shit hits the fan, can she carry me full kit, right, out of the X? Um, can, she, can, she, can she hike for, like, 20-plus kilometers? Right? If she can do that, I'll serve with her. If she can't, then she doesn't belong in the infantry, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's there's space for for uh, everybody in the military, right? There's different occupations. I'm, I mean, um, yeah, some people close with and destroy the enemy, right? Knock on the door and you know shoot people in the face. Um, other people, they're admin, and we need both, right? Um, but yeah, if if you want to join the gun club. Uh, you you want to be one of the, the ones, you know, tip of the spear. You need to be able to carry your own weight. That's just my opinion. That's uh, very well said. And uh, talking about the gay guy story, I've got one as well. <laughs> so when I was on uh, my search commander's uh, battle course, we had a, a gay guy in one of the other platoons. <clears throat> and there was a guy from my unit came running over to me. He's like, David, David, come, come, come over here, come over here, quick, come see this. And the gay guy was in there. He had a, like uh, these sausages that come uh, vacuum packed, and they're like you know pre cooked, and you could just eat them cold. And he, oh, took, yeah. was, he was he was getting this sausage, and he was deep throating the sausage. But it wasn't his; it was someone else's. The guys were like, "If you can deep throat this sausage, you can have it." And you know what guys are like on exercise when someone's got food? It's like I'll fucking do anything. I'll do anything for the food. So he's like, come over, come over here. This guy's going to deep throw a sausage. He's gay as well. And like, that was it. It was like a throwaway comment. He's gay as well. And so like, we come running over and it's like, this big mattress of sausage, it goes like in a, in a big U-shape. It's like a German sausage, mate. You know, it's big. So he puts it in and fucking, he's two-handing it all the way down. He gets it all the way in and he pulls it all the way back up. And we were like, you know, laughing and busting out, crying, laughing and stuff like that. And, uh, and then we all just went away and that was it. Like, it was, um, that's like the only gay guy I've ever met in the army. And it was literally like, right, let's see what this guy's up to. And then it was a throwaway, throwaway moment in my career. Like, like you said, there was no, like, there was no, like, fuck that guy. None of that. The guy was good as well. Like, it's not, it's not necessarily with women. It's not necessarily that they can't do it because there's some fucking savages out there. They are much stronger than me. They're much faster than me. <clears throat> they could probably, um, you know, definitely bench and maybe not bench, but definitely squat and all this sort of shit more than me. Um, but for me, it becomes down to primal instinct being one one part of it, and then and, th and that comes to that comes to emotions, and it comes to the will to actually fight to the death. Like, I'm not sure that there's many women out there that actually inherently have that. And, and at the same time are able to control their emotions um, the way men are. 
And I, I think that's prime one. I think that's it's not really something you can teach. I think it's definitely, you know, through evolution that's came. The second part then is obviously the uh, interracial connections that are going to be made, that are going to be uh, be had in a in a rifle platoon. You know, you're you're if you want women in your platoon, they're going to have to live in the in the barracks with you. You can't have a women's barracks and then a, a male's barracks, but them being the same platoon. You need to have the platoon living in the same barracks, be it women and guys. And as stupid as it sounds, like you can't have your guys separated in showers you know, guys and girls separating the showers if they want to be in the same platoon. They're going to have to be living in the same barracks. They're going to be making relationships. They're going to be having sex. They, like, they will be doing all this sort of shit. Like, it's not as if, oh, you're my platoon, I'm not going to fuck you. Like, a girl in the military is going to get fucked by a guy in the military at one point in her career. I would say 90% of the girls that, that I know end up with a military guy as a husband, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, that's their choice so the fact that people are naive to the fact that that won't be an issue and it's the major issue for me is the, the relationships that's going to become of it um you know it just you don't get the same brotherhood if you've got someone in there causing uh tension um even if it is um unintentional you know like a the, the, it's come about in a third party type way but that's my issue. Anyway, um, any comebacks on that? I mean, I agree 100%, right? 100%. I mean, we're, when uh, we go to the field, and hey, if we're doing a, a, a patrol base, for instance, uh, if I need to take a shit, right, I'm taking someone with me. And that, that person is posting security, right? And that person is like two meters away from me. And that person can smell everything and see everything, right? If we have if we have a female in our squad in our platoon, like what's gonna happen? You know what I'm saying? Like what 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 if we're doing a a, a a piss test, like a drug test, right? Then you you need a watcher. Like what if there's no other females, right, that we can call to watch that that girl pee in a cup, right? So like yeah, I agree with you. Like they they need to merge in our society if they want to be part of this gun club. Like they need to merge, right? Yeah. But for me, I think it's it's all political, brother. Like and it, it should be political. It's it's quite sad to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, the only reason I brought it up is because it was uh, one of the top headings that I seen in the in the in the, in the news recently with the um, the heading the tag of U.S. Marines as well. So. Just thought I'd bring that up. Right, back to topic then. So you did mention that you're Brazilian uh, by by um, lineage. So um, let me just get a brief understanding of your uh, your family background and where you kind of grew up in, because uh, I know you travelled around a bit. Yeah, um, my old man, uh, he was a preacher uh, and a missionary. So I, I was born in Brazil and we moved all over the place. Uh, we lived in like no shit, the heart of the Amazon. Like I, I obviously I was too young. I, I don't remember this, but I have pictures of me with like a pet monkey. It was like legit the middle of nowhere, like the middle of the jungle. Uh, it was wild. Um, and then we, we moved to a South Brazil for, for a few years. And then we moved to uh I was, I was still a kid. We moved to uh, Portugal and then south of UK. Um, 
yeah, that's that's when I learned English. Um, I actually learned Portuguese at home with my mom. And eventually I, I made my way to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you know, south of the uh, United States. Um, yeah, moved moved around a lot. What age were you when you got to to the States? Um, when we, we moved officially to the States and like there was no turning back, this is like my home. Uh, I was about 15 years old. All right, and is your father American or Brazilian? Uh, he's, he's both. All right, okay. I met my mom in um, like the heart of Brazil, uh, about 100 kilometers from the capital. Um, right. Got married, yeah. And so when you got to America then, what, sort, what accent did you have? I mean, I still have an accent, right? Um, and I, when I went to high school, right, uh, especially in, in like – Baton Rouge, it's actually central Louisiana. It's like 30 miles off Baton Rouge. Um, it's it's like as country as you can get. So there's not a lot of immigrants, right? So I went to high school and like all the girls were like, oh my God, he's got an accent. Like, where are you from? So I used to fake my accent, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh man, oh, what do you call the vroom, vroom, boop, boop? Oh, the car, yeah, car, car. Yeah, and girls love that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always had the same accent. Right? Um, learned, uh, we spoke Portuguese at home, and um, yeah, I learned uh, English in school. Yeah, so in Eng you learned English in England? Yes. Right, okay. And how was school in England then? Um, honestly, I, like, because we moved a lot, like, I, I don't remember. Uh, and I watched videos, because my dad has a lot of footage. Um, yeah. and I, stuff, I, I look at pictures. You know, like you, you can't remember if I don't know if, if they're actual memories or like because of watching the videos, my mind created these memories. Um, but it was it was a good time, I mean, I, I was I was a happy kid. I mean, I grew up. I had I had a good childhood. Yeah. I have two younger brothers. Uh, they're twins. Um, they're like my best friends, and uh, yeah, my 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 parents happy marriage. I, I was a happy kid. Very poor, like very 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 poor. Um, talking to my dad today, right? Uh, he said that he used to live in Europe back in like 1998 with a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, for a family of five. Right? <clears throat> the south of England, you're not getting very far with that. Yeah, uh, even back even back then. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard living in England if you're not earn, earning. A, well, it's hard living in the London and wider area if you're not um, not earning some decent money um, and a thousand pounds for a family of five isn't decent money um, but Louisiana that sounds pretty interesting um, what, what was uh, what was life like there as a teenager then it was awesome man like I'm, I'm a country boy like I, I don't have I don't have an accent but uh, I'm a country boy like I, I I love uh, 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 dirt bikes, you know, I, I love country music. Um, and like the South, life is very chill. Like you, you, you know everybody, everyone is super po polite. Like you, you, you walk uh, somewhere and people like hold the door for you. You're walking around your neighborhood, neighborhood, like legit all your neighbors, you know, say hi, wave, say something, right? You know everybody, uh, small town and like everyone goes to uh, church on Sunday 
Um, you have like cookouts in the weekend and yeah, life is simple and um, they're very, very patriotic, right? Um, they love their country. And I don't know. I, I think it's like, I, I like the principles and the values um, that I grew up with, right? In, in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I know you mentioned it was country living, but were you actually out in the country? Were you? Yes. Or, yeah, you were out in the country. Why do you think people are more polite in the countryside than they are generally in cities? Brother, I, I have no idea. I guess is less stress, you know. It's like hardworking people. Like they wake up super early. They they work with their hands, right? It's either like construction or I don't know. Like it's it's they work with their hands, right? Yeah. They sweat. And they, they get home, you know, make love to their wife and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a simple life, right? Like my brothers lived in New York for, for uh, a few years and I, I, I used to uh, go visit all the time and it's just so hectic. I could never live in New York. I would kill myself. It's so busy. Um, and like this old lady, like it was my first impression of New York, this old lady, we, we just left the sushi restaurant and I, I, I see this lady almost bumped me and I was like, good afternoon, ma'am. And she looked at me, kept on walking. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just less, less stressful. Yeah. I've, I've thought about it because I've heard, it, I've heard that question thrown around recently as well. And what I think it is, is what, it goes back to what you mentioned about people working hard. And when you go through hardship, you, 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 you get humbled. And then when you get humbled, you become nicer to other people because you realize that these other people might be going through what I'm going through and working a, an absolute slave day of a 12, 13, 14 hour shift. And, you know, if that's the case, then I'm going to be nice to them. Whereas in the big cities, everything's easy. Everything's right there. You want food, it comes to your door. You want, you know, to go a place, you, you jump on the subway and you're 20 minutes up the road and, you know, you, you're there. Um, just everything's just so easy. You want a bar, there's one on the corner. You want a, a nightclub, there's another one around the corner. You want a fancy restaurant, it's two blocks down. You know, whereas if you're in the country, you're going to have to drive maybe 20 miles to a, a nice fancy restaurant. There might be a local bar that's 10 miles down the street or... You know, let's just say you want fucking toilet paper. You're going to have to drive six, seven miles to, to Walmart and pick up your stuff. But oh, yeah. I think it is. And that doesn't seem like hardship, but it, it just isn't as easy as living in a city. Um, and yeah, I think people just, when they're in that, that type of life where it's just, they're, you know, monotonous in a cubicle, just working, they just, they get wound up in their self like, oh, I'm useless, I'm worthless, people don't care about me. And then that rubs off on them when they're talking to other people or interacting with other people like, oh, I don't care, no motivation to, to socially interact. But it's such a it's such a weird thing that, because I've noticed it myself from being out in the States that people generally in the country are, are in these, you know, rural areas and uh, country-minded areas are so polite and like overly nice. And it makes me awkward because I'm from the UK and we're just generally not that nice, especially being Scottish as well. They, you know, kind of abrupt and not rude, but just you know harsh uh, in terms of like, conversating with other people. Um, 
nice at heart, but yeah, it's it's like such a, a world apart. Um, but yeah, I, it's a it's an admir, admir it's a an admirable trait to have, um, and I wish I I wish I had more of it. Hell yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you obviously worked these couple of jobs when you're going through college and stuff like that. Um, what were you studying when you were at college? Um, I studied theology. <laughs> and I'm going to guess. I'm going to. I'm going to guess that was on the back of uh, your dad's influence. Yeah, not his influence, uh, but uh, like he he didn't he didn't force me to study theology. Uh, he never even suggested it. It was it was more like I grew up in church. Uh, I had my doubts. I loved philosophy, but I thought to myself, like, what the hell am I going to do with the philosophy degree? Like, I'm going to think for a little No. Uh, I thought about psychology. Um, it, it could get boring. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go th- for theology. Um, and I mean, I, I grew up in church and um, I had my rebel phases, but I always had that doubt. I mean, does God really exist? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to college. Um, and I'm going to come out the other side, either an atheist or like a true believer. And so what do you think, like, obviously it's a study of God and religion, but did they question God and religion or did they just teach what's already been taught in church? Yeah. Um, so like part of it is you study the Bible cover to cover, right? And it's, it's from part of it is from a historical point of view. So there's, there's the, there are these historical characters in the Bible um, that actually lived. Right. Um, and yeah, you study every book uh, from, you know, Genesis the, you know, uh, to all the, the prophets and then eventually the new Testament, um, you know, story and life of Jesus Christ and stuff like that. And then you get to uh like legit theology, right? Like some of these like arguments of the churches and like different belief systems where scholars don't, don't agree. And, you know, senior religious leaders don't agree. That's why you have different denominations and even different religions or branches of Christianity. Right. And yeah, you study a little bit of those and then you end up studying, um, just like an overview of every religion out there, like in every cult and, uh, you know, paganism mythologies stuff like that and what did you come up with um i'm still <laughs> still on the fence man like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know like t- to be honest with you right um uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to preach anybody i have my faith right um like i i love i love jesus um, but i don't know man I, I i don't i don't like religion I'm not for religion. I hate to see the church in the 21st century, what they're doing. Um, it, again, it's, it's all political, right? And then like, we, we, we're so hard on the terrorists today. And I mean, we should, right? like, I, I want to shoot terrorists like on the face. But if, if you look at a few hundred years back, I mean, Christians were doing the same thing, right? You know, killing people, burning, you know, villages to the ground and you study the, the, the Catholic church. I mean, they're doing the same things, right? Um, maybe not killing people, but like selling salvation. Like, let's say you're my brother and you died in combat. Like I could go to the Pope and then buy your salvation. Like, 
who has that power? Yeah. Like, no well, well, something you something you mentioned there is like back in the day, Christians were killing Christians. But, bro, you don't need to look too far around the world these days to notice that Christians are killing Christians. You know, if Africa, just start there. And it's not, you know, it's not a race thing over there. It's a religious thing over there. You've got different sects of Muslims killing different sects of Muslims, and you've got Muslims killing Christians, Christians killing Christians. It's, and it is all driven by religion. And it's not racism over there, um, which obviously I don't think that most of the world realize that, you know, um, and I'm not even going to get, in, get into the, the racist um, topic because it's, you know, it's, it's just not what I'm here for, but it's just so it's just so strange uh, to think that this thing that everyone around the world grew up with and you know holds at such a high high value in life is what drives all the evil and hate in the world mm-hmm. you know but it's everyone that everyone that sells it sells love and peace and eternal life and but everything that comes from it you know you do get that as well more more so I would say but all the evil in the world is predominantly driven by religion and one religion oppressing the other or opposing the other. Um, there's very, there's very few places in the world right now where there's, you know, you know, state or even, um, tribal racism on a large scale. You know, you can maybe look at India, uh, not, um, China with the, Muslims and the Uyghur Muslims and there's a bunch of places in, in small sects but there's there's no widespread like it used to be you know and um, back in the day in the states where it was like the every black person was a slave and every white person was um, a slave owner or, or free man um, but there's places like that in the world right now like Libya you can buy a grown adult male for 200 bucks they're selling slaves in Libya right now you know it's not it's not it's not gone away. Like all this stuff actually goes on, but um, people just get ingrained in their own little life cycle of Instagram and Facebook feed and, you know, don't do a, a, enough research, I feel like, to, to really get a good value of what's going on in the world. But, um, yeah, it's just such a, a crazy, crazy thing. And it's, it's interesting that um, hearing different points of view, and it's interesting to hear somebody who's grown up with a father who is a, a preacher and who's then went to college and studied theology, coming out the other side of that, not knowing, you know, not having a, 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 a concrete answer. You know, like you said there, you, you're kind of undecided still. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And listen, like, you can think and believe whatever you want. I, I don't really care. Like, um, because it's, you can do whatever you want. Um, be free as you want. Do whatever the hell you want. It's as long as you're not hurting other people. That's so I kind of like to like to roll. But yeah, it's mad. Um, and then did that college experience and was there any sort of um, link with religion for you seeing this ISIS video that captivated you and wanted to join the military? Or was that just that? 100%. 100%. It was? Yes. So, here's the thing. Can I I just quickly add, with that, does the humanity in you take over the religious part of you there? Or is it 
a solely religious thing that's taken over that thought process. No, no, no. So, um, right. Let me, let me answer. But it's a, it's a humanity thing that, that caused me to, to join the military. However, it was a religious thing because, because I saw religion in, on that video that gave me this rage. Right, right, right. People don't understand, but the war in the 21st century, this, this war on terror is 100% religious. So let's say that, you know, I go uh, and rob a gas station. I'm not doing that in the name of God, right? even though I'm a, I'm, I might be a Christian or a Catholic or a, a Buddhist or whatever. I'm not doing that in the name of God. I'm doing that because I need the money. That's it's simple, right? And like if 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 I get caught and I go to jail, right? No one's gonna question my belief system. No one's gonna, you know, ask me, you know, uh, who who I pray at night. It's, just like, it's a crime. I robbed the gas station because I needed the money. Those people overseas, they're doing what they're doing in the name of Allah. Their their whole state, right? The, the entire country or countries are ran based on religious agendas. It's that simple. So that makes it a religious war. When they're killing people, when they're raping people and, and burning people and doing all these like crazy stuff, they're doing that in the name of Allah, right? So it is a, a religious war. And if you study um, history, you, you'll come to find that pretty much every, every major conflict or, or issue um, has at the heart of it, right, at, at the core, religion, right? So like the word religion, I, I hate that word. I hate religion, right? Um, yeah, and I, yeah, so watching that video, um, it's not my personal uh, uh, beliefs that, that made me join. It was definitely a humanitarian thing, right? So then boot camp, because that's where you go to join the Marines? How much humanity are you getting there from the drill instructors? Um, it, it was it was boot camp. Looking back today, boot camp was the easiest thing I've done in my military career. Um, but yeah, it, it's obviously not fun. But if you <laughs> stop to think about it, you get roughly seven hours of sleep every day. So you go to bed at like twenty hundred, and you wake up at zero four every day, and then you have you have fire watch. Um, for about an hour uh so yeah you get seven seven hours of sleep you get three meals a day and you're told what to do so you don't have to think you don't have to plan all you have to do is listen and execute stupid easy right? i guess like the fact that i was older um uh, I, I was fine it sucked right it's not it's not fun being a 24 year old like grown-ass man and having like these drill instructors, you know, yelling at your face, but whatever. Did you have good drill instructors? I did. Um, <laughs> so funny story. Uh, I had four drill instructors. One of them got in trouble. Um, so we have the rifle range right in the middle of boot camp. It's roughly two weeks. You have one week where you're you're just getting used to the the, the weapon system. In that case, was the uh, M16, and we did have optics. It was uh, the uh, Triticon optics. Um, 
And uh, and the second week, that's when you do all the shooting. And I guess this drill instructor over at the pit, right, because you have Marines on the pit raising the targets, uh, he told one Marine to put his hand above the line, above the concrete line. So he got in trouble. So we didn't see him till the end of the cycle. So I had, you know, I spent most of my, my, my time in boot camp with three drill instructors. Two of them were grunts, and they were savages. My, my senior drill instructor <laughs> had, a, had a Purple Heart, um, yeah, multiple combat tours, and, and he, was, he was a legit savage. Um, but I, I had one drill instructor. And mind you, this guy is the size of a door. Huge, like six foot five swole this this dude was scary he had like an old like he was probably older he's probably in like mid 40s um yeah like super old uh very scary and we heard horror stories right we're like yeah staff sergeant so-and-so threw someone from the balcony staff sergeant so-and-so did this did that (laughs) everyone was like super scared of this guy and then you you finally graduate boot camp Excuse me, you, you, you uh, finish the crucible and you get the, the EGA. At that point, that's when you become a Marine. So after that, you have one week before graduation. So for that one week, the drill instructors talk to you like a normal human being because you made it, right? You're, you've earned it. Uh, and, you know, talking to the drill instructors, we come to find out that his MOS, his job in the Marine Corps, was pigeon trainer. Was what? Pigeon trainer. What the hell is that? Like a little bird. Seriously? Yes. What the fuck? And like, I mean, I guess he had, you know, so much time that he could work out 24-7. That's how he got huge, but. They still have them. Is that, is that legit? I don't know. I mean, that, he's the only Marine I met with that MOS. (laughs) When I, when I graduated boot camp, I did my research and that was still a thing. That was still a thing. Holy shit. Yeah. Imagine being fed that life for that whole time you were at boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't lose my respect for him. Like he was he was a solid drill instructor. Yeah. Trained us hard. And um, yeah, we, we actually got to sit down and talk to all of them that last week. And I have a lot of respect for the dude, but it was just funny because he was the biggest, the scariest, the meanest. And it was like, oh man, yeah, cool him was. Yeah. How does the uh, how does the promotion work in the Marines? Like, is it because it's not it's not aligned like the Army is, is it? I'm not familiar with the Army to be honest. No, not it's, at all. It's funny you say that because I have no idea what it's like in the you know in the Navy or even the the Marines with us or even some other infantry units. Like they promote differently as well. It's it's, uh, it's funny that even that translates to the to the US military as well. Yeah, I, I actually trained with the um, Royal Marines twice, um, and their promotion system sucks. Because I met some some twelve year E threes. Yeah, I was like, dude, like, holy crap! Like you're you're a senior dude, and you're just an E three. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess for them it's because uh, they have su- such good retention that you can only promote in when someone else leaves that, that role. Whereas if you have a unit where there's, you know, plenty of spaces to be filled because they're, they're undermanned that people can promote much quicker. The regular infantry doesn't have great retention and it doesn't have uh, great recruiting. 
So these roles are constantly empty, so guys can re- promote really quick. Whereas the, uh, the, the Royal Marines, they, they have great retention and they have great uh, recruitment as well. So they, they're able to recruit, you know, um, better soldiers, for lack of a, a better word. Um, guys with maybe better potential, let's just say that, uh, than the Army might do. And they just have a, a good job and, you know, they're very well respected with, throughout the military. So guys stay and they've got a very good um, unit mentality as well. They, 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 you know, like a brotherhood almost sort of thing. It's there in the army, but, I don't, you know, it's it's not as ingrained in the, the regular army as it is in, in small smaller uh, units like the Marines or the Parachute Regiment or, you know, one of these ones. Um but yeah, like those guys, especially especially the Marines and the and the Paris, they they don't promote as quick as other infantry units, and you know they they pay the price for that in terms of their financial wage at the end of the day. But they they maybe feel like they're in a better position to be to be working. So I think it's swings and roundabouts for them at the end of the day. But yeah, it must fucking suck being that that rank after twelve years. <laughs> Yeah. that's not doing good that's not doing anything good for your pension uh, so how was it how was it getting to your unit then when you when you finished basic training um, I mean it wasn't bad uh, after uh, boot camp you go if you're if you're infantry you go to the school of infantry uh, for two months um, and then you go straight to the fleet you join a, uh, a unit uh, because of I was older more mature uh i you know did what i was told um like my seniors didn't really fuck with me as much i mean they did but um kind of left me alone for the most part Um, yeah it's pretty standard yeah and where were these stations uh i've been in north carolina my my entire career really what unit is that this uh it's a victor 28 is that like a, a well-known unit or is it kind of? It is. Um, it's uh, so 8th eight, Reg. It's, it's a 2-8, uh, right? 2nd Division, 8th Marines Regiment. 8th Reg is going away. That's, that's, that's not going to be a, a thing. So I don't know going forward what they're going to do with the unit. Um, but, yeah, it, it has a lot of respect in the East Coast. Yeah. Um, America's Battalion. That was the score, yeah. Yep. Yeah, brother. And then who's the uh, who's the battalion out in the East Coast on the West Coast? Sorry. Um, I heard amazing things about Seventh Ridge, right? So like two seven one seven two seven. Yeah, heard really good things of Seventh Ridge. I've I've been at West Coast several times for training, um, and I know a lot of Marines that came from the Seventh Regiment. Um, yeah, it's just the history behind. Because um, yeah. where do, where is the basic where is basic training? So you have uh, pretty much like imagine cutting the country in half. Yeah. Um, everyone from the East Coast goes to the you know East Coast, and the West Coast goes to West Coast. East Coast boot, boot camp is in South Carolina, right? Uh, Paris Island. Paris and Island, yeah, I've heard of that. For West Coast is in near San Diego, California. Nice. Camp Pendleton. Is that Correct. right? Yeah, I've heard of it as well. <clears throat> um, 
did you have any um, unique experiences while you're at the school room through then? Uh, I mean, not not really. Um, yeah. it, it, it goes by so fast, right? Two months, uh, looking back, um, I remember talking to a friend of mine. Uh, this was before I went to boot camp. And he had just graduated um, MCT, which is like, it's School of Infantry for, for you know, Marines that are not infantry. And he was like, hey, man, like, it's, it's more than enough combat training. Like, you'll be solid. Like, complete bullshit. <laughs> Two months is not enough, right? You learn a little bit of patrolling, a little bit of defense. Um, you do a, a lot of classroom time. And uh, you, you do go to the field. Uh, um, you get a decent, you know, wet, like shooting package is still not enough. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I got to the fleet. Um, I, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. Um, and then, you know, I had really good seniors, so I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. Right. So my seniors were hard on me, but they, they cared. Most of them wanted to get out, but they had the mentality of, Hey, like we're getting out, but, Let's let's ensure that this like next wave of Marines are well trained and proficient at their jobs. So we spend a lot of time throughout the working day, and we call it backyard. Which is you know we have like this like, little uh, uh, lake or pond behind yeah. our barracks, some like the tree line, and uh, we spend a lot of time doing some some training and just like drills, drills like mm -hmm. grenade drills, um, you know dispersion and in, in, in patrol formations and. That's that's when I truly learned my MOS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just re just everyday training at, at your units, what what you should be doing. It. We I find that a lot of the time we ended up doing bullshit tasks when we should have been training. Um, didn't make us any any worse soldiers, but we could have been better. You know, if we if we weren't fucking moving boxes for four hours of the day, or if we weren't doing if we weren't marching about just to look fancy for an hour or, you know, pick any bullshit task, we were doing it. Uh, we, we would be doing it regularly. But, um, yeah, I think we definitely needed to, and there's definitely a problem in the British Army with daily regular training. You know, it's def the NCOs don't get given the free reign that they should do to just take their boys away and go and, you know, have their way with them and just teach them whatever the fuck they feel that they need to need to be taught or need to be swept up on or you know new tactics new techniques like just all that sort of shit but um you definitely you definitely weren't hindered by the regular fucking uh barracks life let's call it that but it's just it's just how it is you know things have got to get done but you know all, all, all we wanted to do all i wanted to do was just get the boys and go and train but it's just it's uh, never that easy. Um, talk to me about your uh, deployment to Africa. Was that a while after you'd uh, joined, or was that pretty quick? Uh, that was that was pretty quick. Um, uh, that was my it, like our workup was so busy. Um, it, it went by super fast. Right? So I I think I, I joined the unit. Um, it was like September. It was August twenty fifteen. Um, and then we did a lot of field ops, like back to back and it started getting cold around November, December. 
Um, and, and I remember it, it snowed that year. Um, so you wake up in the middle of the, the, the forest and you got like ice all over your mustache. It's like three in the morning, you gotta go patrolling. We, we did a, a lot of good training. And then uh, January of 2016, January, February, we, we went to California for five weeks, did a lot of you know, desert training. And after that, we went to AP Hill, which is a, an army base in Virginia. We did some embassy reinforcement uh, uh, training. It was like the workup was so busy. Like I was never home. Um, yeah. I remember that my, my wife went to stay with my family in Florida because I was, I was always gone. And then I fi we finally deployed. It was June of 2016. Uh, we spent roughly three weeks in Rota, Spain. Yeah. In uh, six months in Africa, uh, we went to Uganda. Uh, we supported some some operations in South Sudan. Um, we uh, Uganda was awesome. Uh, the DoD hired some locals to cook for us twice a day, so we ate MREs, yeah, our uh, uh, lunch chow. But then morning and, and evening, it was it was homemade. It was, it was amazing. Were they making um, local food or were they making food yeah local local food? Yeah, really. It was really good. A lot of fruits, man, like stuff that you don't see in, in the States. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we went to Djibouti and we supported some, some, some operations because uh, we had some special forces teams down in uh, Somalia and we were the QRF. Right. Okay. And, and Djibouti, was that the role? Was that the role for you guys the whole time or did that come about later on in the deployment? Yeah, that was later on, uh, on, uh, deployment. Towards towards the uh, yeah the last like two months yeah what was the initial role that you went out there for just there, there's a lot of uh, conflicts uh, in South Sudan um, it was it was it was like a civil war type scenario and they were not targeting Americans um, but I guess I guess uh, I mean I was I was a junior Marine so I was not really involved with the whole like planning process like yeah. I was on my last few deployments. Um, so I, I was, you know, all I heard was, you know, the mission statements, like the tasking statements, stuff like that. But what I could gather from, from what happened was, it was, it was just chaotic over South Sudan and, and, you know, um, the DOD, um, feared for the American embassy. Um, so were you in, in uh, close proximity to that embassy then? Yes. We, that we, we, is that really why you were out there? Yes, that, that's why we were out there. Um, we, we stayed, for the most part, in Uganda, um, in Tebe. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a small footprint. It was like two platoons. Um, really? Yeah, because every wow. other deployment, it's, it's been at least a company, right? Um, like minimum company, but, but it, was, it was like two platoons. Um, it was a great time. Um, because you're, you're, um, like the footprint was so small um we didn't have the usual micromanaging that comes from from <laughs> big blue arrows you know yeah good training um yeah so like like you said um when you're out there with like just the, just two platoons instead of a company that's a completely different uh experience what were the what was your setup like were you inside a camp or were you you know living in 
bought houses or yeah so it was actually tents um right yeah we we had tents they're open it was really 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 hot we had one building it was, it was a compound um roughly i'd say 200 by 400 meters uh and we had several tents and in the middle there's uh, we called it the white house it's like the only building we had that's that was kind of like our coc um yeah. we did, you know like planning we staged our gear and we use a loud out uh, around the local area or were you confined to that, that compound? We, we could go outside the compound um, to PT, but it was, it was honestly, um, I'd say like two clicks away. Like that's the farthest we could go. Because um, it was still inside the, like this like small airport and the, the airport was closed. So we could only go to the gate and back. That was it. Right. <clears throat> what sort of PT were you doing then if you couldn't run that far? So it was it was good PT, man. Like my, my first squad leader, he was he was wild. Um, and we we used to do um, these uh, gas mask runs all the time. And he would have <laughs> knowledge. And if you if you didn't know, you would take one of the canisters out. So it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. Good training. I mean, you can't do that anymore. It's it's called hazing now. Oh my god, yeah. It was really good good training. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> and then, so you 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 were out there initially for the embassy to back up the embassy. Did anything occur uh, that you were tasked forward to that? Right. No. Um, like I said. Uh, they, they were not targeting Americans. It was, it was just like a civil conflict. Right. Yeah. Um, eventually we were, I think we were in Uganda for about two months. Um, and then after that, they, they pulled us and we went to Djibouti, which is Northeast of Uganda in Africa. It's like the horn of Africa. And, uh, yeah, we, we stayed there for the, the remainder of the deployment. Yeah. And what was the setup like up there? Um, it was better. Uh, we had a tent, but it was closed, and there was AC inside. And then they actually had like a, a store, uh, so you could you could buy tobacco, um, you know, clothes, hygiene stuff if you need to. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot better. And the, the chow hall was was amazing. Like you could get four egg omelet at midnight if you wanted to. It was really good. It's probably honestly probably the best chow hall I've ever been to. Well, it's funny. It's funny because my the best food I've ever had was in a in a field kitchen in in uh, Helmand Province, and that's that's no word of a lie. Being all the food I've had in my military service, the best food I ever had was uh, in Fob Shazad in Nadi Ali, and we had a Fijian chef. She was a lady called uh, Rosie, and she cooked steaks that were fucking inch thick big rind of fat on them and then she'd make homemade fries uh homemade peppercorn sauce and it was literally the best food i've ever had in the army i would even go as far as to say as i'd pay really good money for it it was that good uh and she said she'd serve up those steaks like weekly easily enough easily weekly so we ate good when we were there but um it's funny like the places you get the good food is yeah. not the places you you really expect do you get being Marines, do you get shit on more than the, the, than the Army, the Navy, and uh, the area, and the Air Force, sorry? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, on my second <laughs> form, I went to Okinawa. Uh, it was UDP. It's a unit uh, development program. And you got roughly like three main bases on the island of Okinawa. And there's an Air Force base. And I remember there's a lot of us because most weekends we would we get the weekends off. There's a lot of us that we would ride the bus for about an hour on a Saturday to the Air Force Base just to eat their food. That's how good it was. <laughs> well, They're spoiled. They're spoiled, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Man, that's mad. Um, so, that, obviously, Okinawa, Japan. Um, when were you out there? When? Yeah. Uh, it was 2000, January 2018 all the way to June 2018. Yeah. What were you doing out there? Um. Honestly, uh, I mean, I, I, I personally, right, this is like I don't represent the Marine Corps in any way. Right? This is my personal opinion. Um, I think it's, it's a waste of time, to be honest, right? <laughs> Just because you, you can get good training um, stateside, right? And all we did was training. We, we did jungle warfare training north of the island, and then we went to the Philippines did a huge exercise with the uh, Filipino Marines. And then we went to mainland Japan and yeah, it was, it was, it, it is a deployment for us. Right. But you're not, you're not supporting like a, a real world operation. Right? Yeah. You could, if something happens, but you do have Marines that are stationed in Okinawa for like two, three years at a time. Right. So personally, right, I, I think it's just a waste of time to, to make that trip to Okinawa. Um, obviously, you're making a distinction there between the guys who are based out there and the, and the deployment you went on, the training deployment. Correct. Um, and I would, I would say that you'd, you'd agree with me that having guys staged all around the world is a good thing, you know, for reaction to events that happen throughout the world. Um, yeah. But so like so it's 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 weird to to think that you're going all the way out to Japan just for six months of training. Yeah, I mean, uh, so like, I, I kind of understand the Marine Corps, right? And so you got uh, infantry units in Hawaii, like three three. Um, that's the only deployment they get to do. Like if if you if you serve. Your your entire uh, contract, which is four years, and you you you're stationed in Hawaii. Your both of your deployments were UDPs, right? And like I understand uh, where the Marine Corps is coming from. Like if something happens in that AO, right, that area of operations, like I get it. Where we have like infantry battalions that we could easily respond, right? But I I mean I I just don't feel like there's a need for you to send an entire unit for six months and just, you know, stay because the lifestyle is just like being, being back in a rear. You work for five days and then you have the weekends off, you have holidays off. Um, you, you have a barracks room. Um, you can order food. Like it's like, it's not really a deployment, right? Yeah. But the I mean, only I, thing is, the only thing is they fuck you over by put, keeping you away from your family for six months. Yeah, that was, that was my wife's main thing because uh, we had a kid by then. And, you know, I could FaceTime my wife every day. Obviously, you have the time zone. Sucks, but 
she would ask me every day, like, what are you doing? And I would <laughs> tell her, and she's like, well, why can't you be home then? Right? Yeah. Like, well, and I, I tried. I was, babe, like, you know, North Korea, the dude is cuckoo bananas. Like, he could do something at any time. Those are true facts. But then you also have Marines stationed in South Korea. You have, you know, uh, uh, infantry division stationed in South Korea uh, from the Army. It's like, yeah. why, why do we send these units? Um, and then you have, you have uh, MUSE, right, Marine Expeditionary Units that they just go over the Pacific and they just float around over there. <laughs> like maybe so like being a sergeant and I, I had the privilege to work with some 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 awesome leaders um some good 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 officers and there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the curtains that i was never aware because like our level like the, the enlisted dude we're waiting for the birds and we're we're pissed it's been two hours i'm like god damn like can we get on with it right I just want to get mission accomplished so I can go home. But then you don't realize that like the pilots are trying to, to contact, you know, you know, whatever and try and get clearance to fly over whatever. And like, there's a lot of moving parts and, and people are freaking out over at the COC and you don't see that. Right. So like maybe, maybe at the, you know, headquarters level, there's, there's a reason for that footprint over in Okinawa. I just think it's a waste of time. <laughs> and obviously, you said that you get the the weekends up and stuff off. But are you are you free to go out into Japan and to to have your own free time? Oh yeah, I, I went hiking uh, every like other weekend. Um, we 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 went to a lot of different restaurants. I got two tattoos in Okinawa. Like, it it is a good time. Like don't get me wrong, it is a good time. But like deployments yeah. are not supposed to be. A vacation, right? You're not supposed to go out and live and explore the world. Yeah, I want to do that with my family. You know, what yeah, I'm saying? yeah, yeah. Like, if you're going to get sent to Japan, you may as well send me for two years. Let me take my wife and my kids there as Absolutely. well. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> fuck. Yeah, because it's different. If you like, I can definitely see the because we don't do that. We just we don't have these like six six month long deployments for fucking no reason. <laughs> like, if we're going somewhere, we're going somewhere. Um, um, but yeah, I think for, in terms of keeping guys in, engaged and you know willing to work, especially if you're an older person with a family and a wife and stuff like that, you know that is massive. Um, and taking guys away unnecessarily away for six months probably isn't the the best thing for the for the the unit, you know. Um, I think you'd maybe get a lot more guys more engaged and, and more willing to sit, stay than than not if you were doing that training back home because you can get jungle in, in the states. You know, it may not be the the exact type of trees and stuff that you're going to get in Japan, but you can get the same environment in in places in the, in, the, in the states and maybe even down in Mexico or somewhere or I don't know, you know, down there somewhere if you really wanted to. To go for like a short six week training exercise and do jungle warfare training or or whatever it is but you know you can do it at home um it's just so random to hear that you go six months overseas just to train but it's cool though you get to go to fucking japan because we don't yeah. <laughs> we don't have any of that shit like we get we go to the worst places like one of the coolest places you can go is uh is canada 
but it's like in the middle of fucking nowhere, like like hundreds of miles away from the, all the all the decent places in Canada, um, and not many people get to go there, so mm-hmm. that's mad. But um, another thing I I, I was uh, I've been keeping my ear on is uh, the Marines that are out in Okinawa and they're who are quarantined and they're being fed mouldy sandwiches and stuff like that. What uh, inside gossip do you have about that situation? Uh, nothing, man. I've 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 only seen the the memes. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> I, really don't. I, I mean, mean, when you see, when you see when you see, it's like uh, yeah, these these sandwiches were frozen for three years ago, and now they've been defrosted and they got mold on them. I'm like, I I seen it, I seen that, and I'm just like, oh, fucking, uh, that's what I expect. Like. I, I I don't think it's right. I don't think that we deserve it, or you know, certain people or humans should deserve that. But that's what you expect from the military, like that fucking shit. True. Um, true. Uh, I mean, our child hall is is okay, right? Um, honestly, like I hate when people complain about food because I grew up so poor, and you know, we lacked a lot when I was a kid, like, a lot. Um, my dad did the best, right? Um, and like I was a happy kid, but I mean, we, it was like, we lacked a lot. So when I went to boot camp, the fact, the simple fact that I get three meals a day, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Right. And then you get these kids and they're complaining, ah, the rice is too dry. Like motherfucker, let me throw you in the middle of nowhere for like 30 days without food. You're going to thank God you got that rice. Yeah. It's like and and a bunch of like spoiled little brats, you know. Whatever. Like I don't I don't think food is bad in the military. MREs are not bad. No. Right. You had a British British rations. I have I have two of them uh, in my garage. <laughs> Those are amazing. Yeah. You think so? I yep. I think Jeez. maybe maybe because it's it's different to me. Yeah. 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 But I think they're really good. I love the tea, um, the chocolate. The other thing that I, I don't like is the fact that they're 24 hours. Yeah. It's like this big box for the entire day. But whatever. Yeah, because you get what? MREs are just the one one meal, so. Correct. Is that right? Yeah, so you get three a day or Correct. two a day or whatever it is. Three a day. Yeah. Um, I was stationed. I, I got MREs when we are at a US Marine base called Fob Dwyer out in Southern Hellmand. Um, and fuck we didn't even know how to heat up the meals you know you come out with like, the heat pack to heat your meals yeah. up we didn't we, we couldn't figure it out we, like guys were like burning the fucking food open and stuff like that and you know spilling the water all over the place um but yeah it's just the differences like we have we have to boil water and fucking cook it that way rather than just have that little chemical heat pad that these guys get uh, which is pretty sweet we don't we don't use that no nah. like i mean you you're a grunt, you know, like you go to the field and you got to hike or, you know, walk for, you know, 20 kilometers at a time. You want to make sure that you pack what you need, what you need only. Like you're not bringing extra stuff. So every pound matters, right? Pounds equals weight that equals pain. So we field strip our MREs. I don't take my spoon. I don't take the heater, like all the stupid little snacks. Like I throw that shit away. I have my, my main meal and some maybe some bread, um, like carbs or maybe like juice, yeah. um, and, and that's it. Right. 
just fucking cold. zip it open, yeah, eat it cold. Oh yeah, it's eat it cold. Yeah. Like you don't you don't have time to you don't have thirty minutes to sit down and like heat heat your food. And just, like yeah. as you're walking, you just open that main meal and you just whatever. <laughs> I can do whatever. The only thing I'll say this, man. The only thing I cannot do is veggie omelets. I cannot do veggie omelets. Oh man, oh, we've oh. got uh, we get the uh, uh, bacon and beans with an omelet, and it's I'm sure it's the exact same omelet, but I can't do that either. The omelet, I pick it out and fucking launch it because it's this, it's it, it does something to the human body that you know I'm not sure anyone wants to experience. But yeah, that one gets gets thrown out. Uh, probably my favourite is the uh, we have uh, sausage and beans, but it's actually chicken. It's not pork. It's it, you know the cheap shit chicken meat gets squashed down to make it look like pork and stick some beans in there, and then that's it. It's like the most basic one, but it's for me, it's the the best one. And they, I think the British ones, they've tried, they've just went and tried too hard, man, to 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 make them too fancy and. I don't know, fucking, I didn't like them. We had really basic ones when I first started jo uh, joined the army. Uh, and they were probably like, for me, they were probably like peak ration pack back then, like 2009, 10 time. Um, but the, the last ones I was getting, they, they were just full of shit. Like, like you said, like by the time you stripped it down, you fucking got rid of half, half of the calories. It's like, I'm not going to eat all this shit. Just put some stuff in there that I'm, uh, I actually, I'm willing to eat. But, um, yeah, the MREs, when, when we got them, we were, uh, you know, forward staging for an op. So we were just sitting in a tent and we had nothing to do all day. So we are fucking swapping, like, swapping meals about and swapping, uh, like, packs of skills for something else. So it was funny just, like, getting them because, as I said, like, most of us had never seen them before. So it's like a fucking kid at Christmas. Like, oh, what's this? What the fucking, what we got here? And also all the food's American. So we were like, what is... Uh, let me just think of something. Um, I can't. Re I can't remember off the top of my head what the menus were, but let's just say like sloppy Joe. Like we don't really have a sloppy Joe in the UK, so it's like what the fuck is sloppy Joe? You know, like try to figure out what's what what is going to be. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun time. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's the you mentioned the, the the guys going on Muse Marine Expedition units floating around like. How was that deployment for you? And what sort of, what sort of things are you tasked for um, when you're on that deployment as a unit? Um, our deployment was, it was weird, man, to be honest, because of COVID. Um, I don't know. And I, I came back and like, I felt like I came back to wasteland, like COVID and like, <laughs> it was crazy. Like my wife was freaking out with two kids by herself and you know, I'm, I'm, we, we sailed um, through the Suez Canal. Um, we stopped by Jordan, um, went south, and then we, we crossed the BAM, uh, you know, Yemen and Djibouti and Somalia, right? That yeah. canal. And then we sailed through Yemen, UAE, and then to like right outside Iran. And that was our deployment. We did that twice. Um, and that was our entire deployment, like six months. Um, we did get to go to, you know, some, some cool places. Uh, I went to Saudi Arabia. That was interesting. Um, I went to, yeah, like I said, went to Jordan, went to Bahrain. 
oh, yeah. that was different, right? To to go to a place in the Middle East where they're sort of friendly. I don't know. It was <laughs> it was weird. Weird. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of good training. Um, it was my first view, it was my first time on ship. Um, but I guess because of COVID, COVID happened like early on on our yeah. deployment. So we didn't get to do a lot of stuff. Um, borders were closing. And then uh, they finally decided to, you know, let's go to the Mediterranean. But then like Europe shut down hardcore. They're like no one in or out. So we're like, well, we might as well just, you know, stay here. But um, yeah, we, 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 we got to do some cool stuff. So, some of some of our guys went to Kuwait. Uh, some of our guys went to Djibouti uh, again. Um, yeah, so some of our dudes supported some like real world operations like us as a mu we, we we did support yeah um some real world operations um yeah it was a good experience right but yeah. COVID definitely fucked that deployment for me was that your uh, first time on ship like that yeah so interesting so like once you're attached to the mu and you're you're bound to go to mu deployment um they do three ship operations um, and they're roughly uh, between two and four weeks, just so you can get used to the the life on ship, because it is different, right? And I mean, some people panic, right? Um, I missed all of them because I was going through several <laughs> back to back, and uh, yeah, so I, I missed all of them. So my first time on ship was actually deployment. I was like, hey, you're deploying. I was like, okay, cool. How was how is life on ship like? And one of those big fucking, I've never been on one. It wasn't bad. So, yeah, so uh, I know I've never, never been on one. But uh, the 26 Mu was three different ships. You had like the, the biggest ones, like a, a carrier, uh, USS Baton. That's that's where I was at. So because it was so big, I guess I, I didn't feel like the waves. But yeah. the guys on the small ships had a lot of complaints. Yeah, with the seasickness and stuff like that. Oh yeah, big big time. Yeah, what's da daily life like when you're on on ship? Then, like, what sort of tasks are you you having to conduct? Uh, so for for uh, sergeants and staff and COs, um, we had L Foc watch, which is pretty much like our COC on on ship, and you have several screens, and it'll tell you what's happening, like where. Uh, our adjacent units are at what's like the moving pieces and you have access to you know the sipper side like the secret side um and you get all these like briefs and stuff like that um so i had watched like once maybe twice a week um but besides that it was it was mainly like maintenance so like uh, uh relearning the basics with the with the boys making sure your you know your your standards on uh, PT have not, you know, gone bad because I mean, it's easy to stay in your rack all day and just watch, you know, 12 seasons of The Office. But <laughs> um, yeah. so we, we had a lot of PT with, with the units um, and there's so much you can do, but I mean, we, we got creative. I mean, we have three ramps on ship and you just hike those ramps for, you know, 10 kilometers. Um, it yeah. gets, you know, pretty tiring. Uh, was there guys who 
getting obsessive with it because it's not. It's always the case for us when we go on tours. <clears throat> Guys will commit uh, wholeheartedly to Alt Massive and start getting jacked and tanned. Uh, with the boys getting stuck into that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of gym rats. We we did have a, a good gym uh, at the USS Baton. It was a decent size, and we had two uh, like hit time gyms on different areas of the ship. And yeah, Marines would work out like twice a day and just eat all the food they could. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's bad for cardio. Right? You don't have a lot of room to, you know, you if you're running, you're running at the flight deck, which is, uh, I think it was like 280 meters or something like that, one way. Um, so like two ways is roughly 500 meters. I mean, if you're, if you're gonna go, yeah, if you're gonna go for a five mile run, I mean, you're running in circles and you're looking at the ocean. It gets pretty, pretty old. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I wouldn't be fucking one. I wouldn't be doing that at all. <laughs> I'd be doing some <laughs> hit, hit circuit somewhere. <clears throat> um, and so I guess you've just recently got back then. Yeah, I got back uh, June 2020. Yeah, did you have a? Do you get a bunch of leave after that, or are you just rolling back into it? Um, I had to to uh, get back to work as soon as I got back, so I got a, a seventy-two, like three days off. That was it. Um, and then my leave block was actually two weeks ago. I got sixteen days of leave. Yeah, that's good. That you're getting that after how long were you away? Uh, almost seven months. Damn, that's pretty tight, man. We we do better on leave, I'd say, than than you guys by by the sound of it. Um, and so, what's next in the pipeline for you? Um, so I had uh, I had a, a really bad injury back in 2017. So they they pulled me from the uh, the line company. So our battalion, the way it works is you have three line companies, like infantry companies. And then you have a weapons company and then you have H and S headquarters and service company headquarters and service company, uh, composed of 90% of, you know, we, we call them pogues like personnel other than grunts. Right. Yeah. And it's like your calm, calm dudes, admin dudes, supply dudes, uh, transport dudes, stuff like that. Right. And actually being with headquarters, um, after I got injured, uh, gave me a lot of respect for those guys. I used to look at them like, uh, there goes another pogue, right? Yeah. But they, they work really hard. Like some of those uh, transport dudes, like Motor T, um, they, they work up to like 20, 20, 200 sometimes. And like calm dudes, some, when they're doing uh, inventory, like those dudes get no sleep, right? They have like radio watch and it's, it's crazy. Um, so he, he gave me some appreciation. But I was with headquarters for the longest time. Um, it took, like, from the day of my injury to the day of my three surgeries, um, it took me, like, 14 months. I, I, was, I was actually deployed in Okinawa with a broken collarbone. Um, and, yeah, I had uh, three surgeries. It was a labrum repair and tendonitis. Like, they detached your biceps tendon uh, from your shoulder and, reattach it under your armpit yeah and then an ac separation on my left collarbone uh so 
Um, I was on a med board ready to get out of the Marine Corps. Like I, like my, my doctor was like, Hey, you're not like you, you cannot be a Marine. You'll never be able to do more than four pull-ups. And I was a med board and I talked to my first sergeant and that dude saved my career. Yeah. Legit. He was like, Hey, I'm going to send you headquarters and service company. We're not going to fuck with you. You give you all the time in the world to recover. And, um, and yeah, saved my career. I was able to, to fight my med board. Um, I, I had to request an opinion of a different doctor out of town. A lot of paperwork. It was, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, was able to reenlist and yeah. So after being with headquarters and service company for, for, for a while, um, they pulled me to go to weapons company. So I literally just got to the sniper's platoon. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm what they call a pig. It's like, it's not a sniper yet. Right. Uh, right okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> snipers are the dudes that have actually been to school. Right. So you heading to sniper school next? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. Right? Um, so my plan is, um, I plan to go to ANS assessment and selection for MARSOC in January. And um, I submitted all my paperwork. Um, so if, if, if I'm able to go through the pipeline and I get selected, then I'll, I'll re-enlist with MARSOC and, and yeah, we'll go from there. Um, however, if, if for some reason um, I don't pass the, the medical screener uh, or I'm not selected, then um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. I think I would like to stay with the sniper's platoon. Um, it's a different community, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's so there's so much that you could you know you could spend five years in that platoon and still be learning five years later. You know, it's not as if it, it's not as if <clears throat> you're going to be able to master that in in you know six months and you'd be like, right, I I know everything about this now. Like I'm bored. I want something different. Uh, and like you said, it is a different community. It's a small, small group of guys. Um, and if it's anything like us, you'll be left alone. You'll be doing what you guys want to be doing, the type of training that is actually valuable uh, for personal development. Um, so, yeah, good move um, for the career, I would say. But, yeah, Marsoc, so uh, that's – what is that? How does that – break down into terms of capabilities then is it just one unit or do they have a bunch of different units providing different capabilities right uh so marsoc is special forces right uh, and they're very new um, very new um and like so like marsoc uh Again, I'm not part of that community. Um, I'm not familiar. I don't. I don't know. Right. Yeah. This is just, you know, my perspective. Right. Because they're so new, um, they're they're trying to find their place in the 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 uh, special forces community. Right. The seals, green berets, you know, etc. Right. Um, but yeah, for the longest time, the Marines thought, hey, like. We're special. We don't need a special operations within our branch. Right? Um, and for the longest time, they, they, they got away with it, right? Um, and, yeah, MARSOC is very new. I guess they finally realized, like, hey, we need the special forces group, like, 
inside the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I, I guess like, I, I agree with that. I, I think it was a, it was a good move from, uh, you know, headquarters Marine Corps because, because of, you know, the war on terror, like we're not fighting a conventional army. Right? It's different. Like our approach has to be different. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Like the, our footprint has to be smaller. We can't put an entire platoon patrolling through the streets, right? These dudes need to be well-trained. The missions need to be more specific. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was the right move. Um, and I just felt the need to move to a different community. Right? Um, nothing wrong with like the, the, the Marine Corps. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just all those points that we, we talked about, um, you know, through, through text message. Um, and I, I just don't think it's for me anymore. Right. Um, well, as you, as you, mature, as you mature, um, and if you still want to soldier, there really isn't many options, um, unless you stay a fucking soldier or a marine um if you promote into more and more desk jobs and more and more time spent back from the actual job of being a marine and job of being a soldier job of actually doing that thing that you you joined for and you know that's replaced by paperwork and discipline you know dramas and um you know ceremonial stuff and a bunch of random shit that you, you don't want to be part of so if you are motivated and you are slightly older um in terms of rank and and age then i would tell any guy that if you're still motivated and you still want to do it you need to go a special forces route and it might be like uh, green berets or it might be uh our pathfinders in the uk or it might be you know the tier one units but um you need to, if you find yourself motivated around people who aren't motivated, then that's definitely the other, you know, um, combat indicator that you need to be going somewhere different. And like I would say to everyone as well, give it, give it your all once, twice, three times, just keep going until they accept you or they tell you don't come back. And then if you're, if you're not good enough, fucking pull the pin and, you know, um, try something else. You could even transfer to the fucking Air Force and be a pilot or something like that, you know, or the Marines have got their own pilot, so you could probably transfer and try something different like that, an Apache pilot or, a, I don't know, Chinook pilot or something like that. would be pretty cool. But yeah, there's, there's loads of options for guys who are motivated and who do, do want to stay in. And obviously there's uh, civilian civilian life as well, which um, which offers opportunities, but, you know, you, you definitely are going to miss that. Um, brotherhood of being in the, in the unit you know there's nothing like it mm. trust me I'm a civilian now and I miss it <laughs> <laughs> I believe you uh. <clears throat> right then so um, some of the points that you wanted to talk about then um, and just bring up the reasons why you wanted to talk about it because you're, you're doing some studies right now is that correct yeah um, I'm, I'm going to school um I mean, uh, a lot of people won't like what, what I'm about to say, but uh, it is the truth, right? People don't 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 like it when we, you know, talk about the truth. You can't handle the truth right? because 
I think part of the military is is propaganda, right? So you look at all these ads for you know the Marine Corps, the Army, and you there, there's like the 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 six foot three dude, and he's like handsome, chiseled. He's a stud, you know, has like the the, the chin lines, and like he's he's all kitted up, and it's like this like tactical environment, and it looks cool, right? And then on paper, right, uh, uh, we look like the most elite fighting force in the world, right? on paper. Um, but then you actually get down to it, and like we realize we're not as good as what we think, right? And I don't know, man. I think there's a gap, right, between who we are and who we portray ourselves to be um, that need to need to be closed. Um, we're not as proficient as what we think we are. Right? And something that pissed me off in my last deployment, uh, I would see Marines that would miss Chow to keep playing video games for like eight straight hours, play Call of Duty. Right? And these are grunts. These are like infantry Marines in the Marine Corps. These are like NCOs. And I would ask them basic boot camp knowledge like, hey, brother, if I give you an azimuth of 51 degrees, how would you work the bezel ring at night? Like, clockwise, counterclockwise, like, how would you do it? It's pitch black. Uh, well, um, I don't know. Well, well what are you doing? That for, man? <laughs> what are you doing playing video games? Go sharpen the, the knife, dog. Go back and study. Go read the pubs. Go ask the questions. Go prac out. Like different dude, I would ask them, "Hey man, what's what's line five of nine line?" Oh man, uh, I think uh, I don't know, Sergeant. Well, shouldn't you know? Like you're you're a team leader, man. Yeah, you should know these things. Stop playing video games. Stop watching, you know, whatever it is that you're watching. Stop jerking off. Like go study. Go back to the basics, right? Go prac-cap. Go ask the questions. Go learn this shit, right? <clears throat> and and then I start like analyzing, right? And like our battalion commander, like amazing guy, like the best battalion commander I ever had. He's he's prior enlisted. He's super down to earth. Like this dude is a savage, um, amazing guy, amazing leader. But he he passed down that he wanted everyone, every Marine in the 26 mu or in the, the our unit um, to be at least a green belt in our, you know, mixed martial arts program, at least a green belt. So mind you, you have 10, you, you graduate boot camp with 10, and then you, you do gray, then you do green, brown, and black. That's it. So most of the junior Marines, so Lance Corporals and Corporals, they were uh, either 10 or gray. So he wanted everyone by the end of the deployment to be green. That was like one of the, you know, tasks. And no shit, by the end of deployment, everyone was green at the bare minimum. Some of us like did brown and black. But like on paper, these dudes look like lethal machines. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like lethal motherfuckers. Uh. But then you stop to, to think about it and you analyze it, right? Or mixed martial arts program, like you can go from tan to black in five weeks. And all you're what, doing is what is it? What is this mixed martial arts program? I've never heard of it. 
MIGMAP, Mixed Martial Arts Program. Um, so, I mean, it's a bunch of techniques, right? Weapons of opportunity. So you learn how to fight with knives, how to uh, uh, use your weapon as a, as, a, as a weapon outside, you know, uh, lead. Yeah, yeah. Um, ran out of ammunition or whatever. You use a buttstock or either K-bar. Um, you learn a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, judo, stuff like that. Um, is it is it is it marine specific? It is marine specific. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm sure the other branches have their own version of you know mixed martial arts, but this specifically, uh, Navy Navy dudes, uh, so corpsmen, they're attached to to marine units. They can do it. Right. They can, they can earn the belt. But so like on paper, like these dudes look very efficient, <laughs> but most of them like. Some of these kids never been punched in the face. They did five weeks of training, memorized a bunch of, you know, combat moves and earned a belt, right? But like, why, why don't you like spend a lot of time building like the muscle memory, like these like fighting skills, right? Grab like rubber rifles and take your squad down to the pit and like hours for like weeks at a time and months at a time eventually in the course of like four years your hands are weapon right but like we don't do that like on paper the institution looks amazing right like everyone is a is a, is a weapon everyone's well trained right and like we do all these things and like all these like checking the boxes right it's like why don't we do the real thing let's close that yeah. gap between who we pretend to be and who we truly are yeah, we've we've got the exact same thing. Um, I mean, we don't. I'm not. I'm not talking about mixed martial arts because we fucking don't do any of that. Um, but we have the exact same issues in terms of training, where it's like, on paper, we we might look good. Our our unit might be operationally effective, you know, and we we've checked all the boxes. But that might mean that we took a company up to the range, and we fired the whole company through on. Uh, qualification shoot in one day and 60% of the guys just got passed on paper because they couldn't hit the target oh fuck it I'm like the, the NCOs get frustrated pass mm. pass 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 the whole company's then qualified in one day they've maybe done most of the guys probably haven't done any shooting prior to that qualification some of the guys might have had to do you know, I don't know, let's say a token three, four days worth of ranges before it, um, just to make it look like the company was up there doing work, you know. Mm. Um, but most of the time, I, I, and I, this is coming from personal experience, you know, you see the guy miss, 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 and you end up coaching the guy on his qualification shoot to try and hit the targets. Like, that's not, the, that shouldn't be the case. You should be on the point hitting every every target, Oh, yeah. And obviously, it's a, you, you might miss one, you might miss two, three, four, but as long as you qualify, that's fine. But you shouldn't have to be getting coached or you shouldn't have to be getting uh, paper passed to qualify, you know? Um, and there's there's a bunch of that in terms of fitness tests. Let's say that you guys are going on an eight-mile uh, rock march. Um, there'll be guys who are like, you know they're taking their bur taking their bergen off their back, and someone else will be carrying it while we're getting him to the front. And then he'll, and then he, he might get to the end, and then we give him his bergen back. Great company, brilliant, well done. You know, have a good weekend. And then the whole company's passed, 
Well, that guy had his fucking Bergen and his weapon taken off him. He should be in fucking here at the weekend getting absolutely beasted by the the PTI for fucking four hours straight. Like, that's embarrassing. The amount of embarrassing things I've seen um, is just every, an everyday occurrence. And like you, like you just said there, I would, not every day, but I would like every now and again, and like if we were just sitting cleaning weapons or something, I'd hold up the part and I'd say, what's this called? People, some people wouldn't even know. And I'm like, you clean these weapons four or five times, you know, a month and you're using them, you know, twice that each day. Like, how the hell do you not know what this is? Gas on. How do you not know what this is? You know, it's just like, you know, I just, I would, I would, I would be amazed, but I would also be like, not surprised because of what we, what I mentioned earlier, the fact that we're not like we weren't getting enough time to train our own guys, and there's there's an excuse to be said that oh there's loads of downtime where you could have just pulled your guys away, yeah, but that downtime was sat on our arse waiting for the task that we've already been tasked to do. So if you're tasked to do something, you you know you you could get told just wait there we're going to do this task. You can't just go and get three. GPMGs out and start training because you're already on a task sort of thing. It's, but yeah, it, it's the exact same prob- problem. But the point you're bringing up is to to master your craft. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, here's my point, right? Where I think like uh, uh, the young devil dog can understand better. It's like I grew up in the South, right? If you have beef with somebody, have an issue with somebody like you hey man like we can't fight in school property we're both gonna get expelled so you know how about like you meet me and you know the, the, the parking lot over mcdonald's and whatever at this time and we'll you know square things out and you get there there's like you know there's 60 people there's cheerleaders and you know the dude takes his shirt off and you guys you guys fight after you know the fight, you shake hands and you move on. That's it, right? You you cannot do that with war. You can't schedule war. You can't like, hey, listen, uh, you know, Iran, how, how about we meet in the battlefield? You, know, you can't do that. We don't know. Like, war is very uncertain. But, like, it could be tomorrow. It could be next month. It could be a year from today, right? Yeah. We don't know. But, like, what if we did? Like, what if I knew for a fact that 30 days from today, exactly 30 days from today, you would find yourself in a gunfight with the enemy, like 100 meters? What would you do starting today leading up all to all the way to that 30th day? Like, bro, some dudes would start a riot. Some dudes would, you know, start reading the pubs. Some dudes would, you know, go back to the, the pracapping the basics. Like, they would lose their shit. They would make sure, you know, they would do everything they can to make sure they're the most lethal motherfuckers on that battlefield, like a killing machine, right? But, like, since we don't know, and it's our job to stay ready, because it could be tomorrow, then why, why don't we do that already? Why don't we spend the time to make sure that we're physically fit? We're, you know, we're, we're good with our knowledge. We know our craft. We're a master of our craft, right? Yeah. Why don't we spend the time? We put in the effort, right? And, like, it, it bothers me. Like, 
I don't know if it's a, a so I, I had this conversation with some senior leaders and like we can't figure out if it's a generational issue, right? Because I don't I don't think this was an issue back back in the day, right? You like, know what our, it is. My, you know what, you know what I think it is is that you're not allowed to enforce discipline anymore. Guys can get away with far too much um, shitty behavior before anything can really get done. And let's say, I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably the same where you are. Ten years ago when I joined, if you didn't do what you were asked to by one of your NCOs, you got a fucking, you know, you got a bloody nose or a bloody mouth. Ten, yeah. year, ten years later, you don't do what the, an NCO tells you then the NCO then has, you know, he's not going to physically assault you or he's not going to do anything like that because that's now physical assault. He's going to have to go to the sergeant major. He's going to have to explain the situation to the sergeant major. Sergeant major is then going to have to take on his account of the story, get the other guy in and say, look, like, tell me what happened. And before you know it, you've got this guy who's able to argue a case that there was a misunderstanding and the NCO might have been out of line, you know, to the point where it's, you know, it's not fair for him. And it's like, are you fucking real? Like, this is not a way to, to work in an environment where you, you do need to close with and kill an enemy. You need to, you need to, you need, it sounds stupid to say, but you need to have the guys under you train like dogs. Cause when you need to release them, they need to be ready to go. You know what I mean? Um, and they need to be loyal as fuck to you as a, as a leader. And you need to be loyal as fuck to them. You know what I mean? You need to you need to be as ready and as willing to to go when the time is as necessary to lead those dogs into the fucking trenches of war and be leading by the front, you know, setting the example. Um, but God, I'm 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 glad I'm out now because I reckon if I was storming those trenches, I'd look behind me and there'd be a few guys missing at the back. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. It's it's a crazy time, and I I don't know what the answer is. I think I think that the answer is definitely the loss of the ability to physically discipline people, or even just or even remove physical and just put robust. Because we used to we used to be able to send guys to jail and stuff. We're not allowed to do that anymore. You know what I mean? If you're if you're done something wrong you go to jail for three days and you get fucked and you know you'd be polishing this and you'd be running up and down for four hours doing this and uh you'd be in a, like be doing tasks that were essentially embarrassing around the barracks and stuff like that you know you don't do any of that now you have to show up at nine o'clock with your uniform ironed an officer will inspect you and then you'll go back to your room 10 minutes later that's the punishment it's not and that's not a punishment you know True. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned something about the like the the NCOs. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the the statement that like NCOs lost their power. Um, we say we say that a lot in the Marine Corps. Hey, man, NCOs lost their power. I think there is a lack of discipline. I one hundred percent agree with you, and I also agree that sometimes we as NCOs we have our hands tied because of this this whole you know hazing bullshit right um but i think i think it's up to the nco right 
is I've met some solid NCOs. There's some, some good NCOs. So if you want to train your squad, like you need, to, you need to be assertive with that platoon commander. Like, sir, this is my squad. Like, I need time to train. I realize they're like rosters to sign. So let's, let's come up with the time. I'll have my entire squad ready. We'll sign the rosters. We'll, we'll do the, the paperwork online, the bullshit classes that are, you know, checking check the boxes. Then we're out of here. I'm taking my, my squad to the field. Um, we're pulling weapons. This is the plan of the day. You know, this is the, the route we're taking. Like you hand them everything. This is the time I'm going to be back. Right. Um, good to go, Sergeant. Right. So, like, if, if you're a good NCO and you're, you're doing your, your job, training your, your, your boys hard, um, you, you didn't lose your power. Right? You still have power. Right? Maybe there's different ways to approach certain scenarios, but you still have power. Just be assertive. Like have your squad outside, stupid early, go grab the logs, go grab the tire, and like PT your squad right? every day. Right? Give them classes, give them tasks, right? I, my, my squad leader, the, 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 the way I learned – um, uh, five paragraph orders. I don't know if you guys do that uh, in the army. Yeah, naval standard orders. Yeah, standard orders. The way I learned those, he would make me write an entire order for my weekend plan. Hey, whatever you do this weekend, write an order. It's like legit, like everything is like it was like a twelve page order every weekend. Guess what? I became really good at writing orders when I yeah. went to like my advanced schools. Like, so like I don't know. Like I don't agree that NCOs lost their power. Like, maybe they're giving their power away. Just take it back. Like, That's a good point. Yeah, if you come up with the training uh, 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 plan, and you you're not asking permissions, you're just briefing your platoon sergeant, your platoon commander. Hey, sir, this is what I'm doing. Like as a sergeant, I can take my I can take my squad I can lock on a training area, um, and I can take my entire squad overnight and do like training at nighttime with you know the NVGs and weapons manipulations or you know train whatever I want. Right, but people don't like to do that. Yeah. It's like everyone is a is a war hero, right? When when they're back home and they're getting free beers at the bar. But when it's time to do grunt stuff, like get dirty, you know, sweat, and you know, carry a lot of weight, no one wants to do that. They want to be on their Instagram, on their phones, inside their rooms with AC, drinking, you know, a, a cold Coke. That's what they want to do. Like it's your job as an NCO to train them hard. You're not their buddies. You're not their friends. Right? And like you said, run their dicks through the dirt. And I've, so I grabbed the, uh, it's one of my favorite books. Romo, yeah. German boy. Correct, yeah. And like, it's interesting. Like, one of the first things he says, uh, this is like the very first chapter. Um, he is on the West Front, um, the border with uh, France. And this, this is what he writes on his after action. Like, this is after World War One, And he's going through his journals, and he's got all his orders, all, like, the maps. And he's doing, like, after actions of every single battle. And this is um, uh, after they took a village. 
uh, northwest of France, excuse me, northeast of France. Um, this is what he writes. Train in time of peace to maintain direction at night with a compass. Train in difficult, trackless, wooded terrain. War makes extremely heavy demands on the soldier's strength and nerves. For this reason, make half, ha, uh, heavy demands on your man in peacetime exercises. So, like, this Price is a dude, Yeah, this is a dude that's been through war. And it's like, it's like World War I. Like it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, it can't get worse than that. Yeah. He's telling you, like, hey, spend some time training your man hard during peacetime. Because guess what? You won't have the time during wartime. And that's where that's when you need it the most. Right? The guys I had, uh, I was a sector commander in 2015. We went on a, a UN deployment to Cyprus. It's a six-month deployment, and it's is guarding the the UN protected zone between Turkey and, and the Greek part of Cyprus, the Turkish part of Cyprus and the Greek part of Cyprus. It's been going on for over 50 years. And there's a, an area in between the two countries that we as UN soldiers were due to uh, protect. And the job was driving in a pickup, 10 miles one way, you turn around, you come back, you check, nothing's going on. And that's your, your job for the day. You, you do that five, six times, and then you're off for the rest of the day, you know, eight-hour shift. And uh, when I got there, I knew exactly what was going to happen. The guys were going to lock themselves in the room. They were going to play Xbox. They were going to play on the PlayStation or, or Facebook or whatever. They weren't going to socialize. They weren't going to do this. So when I got there, I, I told them, I says, give me 50 euros, every one of you. And uh, I went down to the, the local shop. I bought a TV, DVD player, and a stereo. Um, and then I, I, I then got a whiteboard. I put on a whiteboard, like a, a list. You have to hit this many miles a week. And uh, if you don't beat me, then there's a challenge. Um, an extra challenge. <clears throat> and then Alaska had a punishment sort of thing to do. So, like I said, it pretty easy to start with. It was like... Uh, 12 miles a week or something like that you had to run and then by the time we left it was like you have to run like 36 miles a week but we'd, we'd at the end of it we'd like upped it you could swim and like a swimming mile would, would count for like four normal miles like a bike mile would count for like a quarter of a mile so like you could bunch out you could branch out a lot of your miles and add them all up and uh, the guys in the section over the over that time when I was there got insanely fit and they were like the the top i think i had like what i have eight guys they were like the top out of the private soldiers they were like the top uh all five of my my or four all four of my privates or five of my private soldiers were ended up in the top and then my two uh lance corporals ended up in the top third as well so that just proved then by investing in your own guys and by forcing them to do hard work in a time of, you know, like you just said, like a time of peace, because you, the last thing you, you want is complacency because complacency is going to bring in that weak mindset. And it, the same guys, and this was the worst thing I ever done to anyone, and I actually felt really bad doing it, but I know for a fact that it had the desired outcome. The same guys we were doing a, a training exercise before that deployment, 
the training exercises were bullshit. We're going on a UN deployment. We're not doing anything arduous. So the guys, again, first night, woke up, and I, I said, right, lads, get your weapons out. Let me inspect your gas parts. They were all rusty. Because the guys woke up, they think they're on a complacent exercise. They think you can just, you know, oh, he won't check. He's, he, you know, this is a, an easy exercise. We're living in buildings. We're not out in the field, but this and that. So I woke up <clears throat> and I knew, they, I knew they wouldn't clean them. So I never said anything. In the afternoon, I got them over and says, right, let me see all your, all your weapons. We'll do a kit inspection. So I checked out the gas parts that were rusty. And I says, right, get all your kit on. And like I, I was the only time I ever, ever like beasted guys, and I made them do sprints. I made them do uh, like uh, low crawls and stuff like that, uh, uh, buddy carries, and I made them do it in front of the rest of the platoon. The other sets of commanders or the other team leaders didn't check their guys' kit, and their guys were just sitting there, you know, bimbling about doing nothing. But I made a point to my own guys afterwards. I says, "Look, that's not to embarrass you." that's to give you a mental tick so that when the next time you wake up in the morning, you're, the first thing on your mind is like, fuck, I need to get my gas parts because someone might check them. You know, and it's it's that sort of, um, oh, what's the word? It's that sort of like commitment to your own trips that, that you need to be given down. But um, that's going to, this essentially is going to help them in, in the future and in a time of need, you know? Absolutely, man. 100%. And uh, I, I heard this uh, during one of my advanced schools, and uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, one of our chief instructors said, it starts with the leaders, right? It starts with us. Because if, if, you're, a, if you're just an eight, like a number eight, you, you, cannot, you can never produce a 10, right? So like the quality of the Marines you're going to produce can only get to like seven and a half, seven point something, right? It can never be above eight, right? But if you're a 10, you, you can produce other 10s. Does that make sense? If you're a yeah. four, then like the, the quality of, of your squad, your unit is going to be shitty. So it's, it starts with us. It starts with us working on ourselves, right? And in every aspect of our lives. And yeah, training uh, our units and uh, our boys is at the end of the day, like we, we owe it to them, right? It's our responsibility. And it, when you, when you get to a combat scenario, it's too late, right? Whatever, whatever skill you're lacking, it's too late. Right? If it's nighttime in a combat zone and you can't land nav, you can't land nav. <laughs> it's not the time to, you know, pick up the pubs and learn it. Right. But it's like, we don't have the sense of urgency. People don't, don't feel like, I, I think like we should be ready at all times just because we don't know. It's a very uncertain world, right? Yeah. But, like, why aren't we ready? <clears throat> Do you think you've gained that uh, mindset from your studying that you're doing right now, your, your master's? Absolutely. I mean, you've seen the movie 300, right? And there's that, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes. It's so, my favorite movie. Hell Yeah. King Leonidas, he's talking to the other Greeks um, on that mountain. And the, 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 the leader of the Greek army, he's kind of upset. He's like, hey, man, like, you only brought 300 dudes. I brought, like, close to, like, 2,800. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And then King Leonidas looks at, you know, the army. He's like, hey, dude, like, what's your profession? Oh, man, I'm, I'm a plumber. What's your profession? 
uh, I'm a gardener. Okay. Hey, you know, what, what, what you're our professions. And they all yell like, rah, rah, rah. And at that moment, it's like, hey, I brought more, more soldiers than you did. I, it looks like I brought more warriors than you did, right? And it, it's like that mindset. And if you study, like, to, movie has a lot of Hollywood in it, right? It's still a, a true story, right? But if you study, like, the, the, the Spartan army at that time, they were wild animals. The things that they would do to their body is just insane. Like, I would, I would not want to fight that army. Right? No, fuck. <laughs> fuck no, man. Fuck. Every, every living soul was, was a warrior. Right? They, they knew how to fight, right? It, it just built that proficiency. I mean, I don't know, man. I, like, I've been reading a lot of history, a lot of uh, uh, Rommel, uh, Hannibal, uh, Alexander the Great, and his father, Philip II. Like, people don't realize, but uh, uh, Philip II was an amazing strategist, tactician. Like, how he reformed the, the entire Macedonian army is mind-blowing, brother. Mind-blowing. Like, he, he, he uh, uh, pretty much gave, uh, it's called a sarisa. It's an 18-foot pike. It's a, a spear. And he reformed and reshaped how they worked on formations, right? Um, having several, uh, 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 you know, lines of guys and, and the dudes in the back would have the spear on a 90-degree angle. The dudes in the front row would have it, in a, uh, 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 you know, facing the enemy. And it's just like unstoppable shield wall with like spearheads, you know, just charging. Yeah. Uh, in your direction. And if like one dude falls, the dude in the back, cause it was 60 ranks deep. The dude in the back would just take that, uh, take his. <laughs> Another thing he did was he made the army mobile. So like every soldier will carry his own weight, his own water, his own weapons, his own armor. Right. And then they would hike for days at a time. Right. Anyways. It's, oh, no, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's really interesting. British Army used to obviously before vehicles were um, were a thing. They used to march to war, so a Scottish regiment would be up in Scotland, and they they marched from Scotland to the trenches in France. That is wild. God. Like that. That's that's how all these all, all these armies used to get about. They used to march. They used to like. They would cover like I don't know. I think it was something stupid, like fifty miles a day, and they would march to fucking war. You know what I mean? Like think of, like we think we are fucking pretty cool because we're living in this generation now, mm. and we, you know we're we're we've got access to all the gyms and good good weights and good equipment and all this sort of stuff, and we're generally bigger and mu more muscular than guys back in the day were, but we're nothing compared to them. Oh yeah, think of the boys in boys in World War One in the trenches there marched to fucking war a thousand miles to war and then sat in a trench for four years that's insane yeah, yeah. um we are we like this generation is we might think we're fucking hardcore but we definitely are not we might have some cool stuff to tell and to share and we might have some unique experiences that are pretty significant but in the broad scheme of things of of humanity and and the, the amount of time we've been on this planet, we've fucking done nothing, man. Mm. Like, you know, most people in the army, 
maybe killed one or maybe no guys, you know, that have been on deployment. And think about these guys back in the day and, and you know, the clans of the, the Highlands in Scotland fighting the English army. These guys would be killing 50, 60, 100 people before they themselves were killed. Mm. It's just insane. And it's not with a, a rifle at a thousand yards. It's with a knife, it's with a dagger, it's with an axe. It's up close and personal. Each one of these these kills like we are we are nothing compared to the people that have lived before us and it's it's definitely it's, uh that that brought that is just the exact same with society as well we're we're so soft these days that we've got everything t- so easy and i'm not going to say let me go back to fucking living in a stone hut in the middle of the middle of the wilderness with no food and let me you know go and make my own make my own farm and you know all this business of course i'm not because this is the, the the world we live in, but I understand the people who lived before me were savages, complete fucking savages. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's just madness. The the history of warfare is just insane. Um, Jocko Jocko Willink, do you ever listen to his stuff? Yes, all the time. He he done an amazing podcast on the Boers, the Boer War. Um, which is the the British Ar- the British army trying to invade the uh, the South African Boers? Um, I think it was like late eighteen hundreds, like eighteen nineties sort of time 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 frame. Uh, and the British army at the time was the 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 you know the biggest empire in the world, fantastic army, phenomenal navy, and they went there and they fought farmers, the Boers who were farmers, and the farmers uh, ended up forming their own tactics and you know um procedures that the british army just weren't weren't used to and they they weren't adapted because they had had so much success that they got complacent that they thought they couldn't be defeated and they thought they were the best at everything these farmers they gathered together they worked in smaller units they were mobile on the battlefield they 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 didn't fight with the gentlemanly rules that were um accustomed to the battlefield of the day and they you know they they absolutely nailed the british army back back in the day with much much lesser numbers just because of a change of tactics that simple change of you know fighting tactics led to the the british you know losing losing that battle um with the boars and you know the the boars are the boars were a crazy bunch back then, like hardened farmers and you know, life in South Africa obviously it wasn't easy at the time. And they thought, right, we're gonna we're gonna fight back and we're gonna actually put it all on the line. And uh just wonder how many guys, you know, um if that was to come around today, how many guys would pick up arms and, you know, fight, you know, a force like that. I don't know. You know, there's a there's a lot of people who talk a lot a good game, but um there's not a whole lot in the broad scheme of society that I think would actually do anything about it. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I think it's a, it's a generational issue. I think like we're, we're part of this fast food generation. It's like I, I send you a text message and instantly I get a reply, right? I, you know, I'm hungry. I go to any fast food place and within a few minutes, my tummy is full. I don't have to, you know, worry about hunting the food. I don't have to worry about preparing, cooking. All I'm doing is consuming the food. And 
we, we lose track of something that's it's key. You cannot learn a new language overnight. Like you, you can't learn an instrument overnight. It's impossible. You got to spend times and uh, uh, a lot of hours. You got to spend time. You got to put in the effort, right? So if I go to the gym today and I work out like a maniac, I get home, I take my shirt off, and I look in the mirror. Absolutely nothing will have changed. But if I do that consistently, right? It's a process every day, and I, you know, I have a, a good eating habit, good uh, uh, eating lifestyle. And I put in the work, I put in the time in the course of a few months and a few years, I'll be in shape and I'll be in amazing you know, physical you know, condition. My performance will be amazing, right? but it takes time. It's, it's that process. But our generation, we don't understand that. Like you can't, like you send a dude to a range and then he, you know, he posts a picture with the gun and he's all sexy and you know, all the girls from high school, you know, a hundred likes. But like you're not proficient, man. Go spend, you know, go get some trigger time, like every week. Like spend your own money. Go to the range, like you know, like put put lead down range. Like spend some ammunition. Like one of my buddies was asking me, hey man, what do you think about the RMR, like the 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 red light for pistols? Because uh, you know I got the money, I can afford it. Uh, I got a Glock 19. I was like, dude, honestly, if you have the money buy $600 worth of ammunition and go get proficient at the clock because you suck, right? <laughs> and it's, it's the truth, yeah. right? So we have these Marines that come to our unit and like they do like one field up. You still suck. Like you need yeah. several field ups. You need several ranges. You need to spend time with that gun, get comfortable, right? You need repetition, drills, like go to your room, spend like hours looking at the mirror, per, uh, uh, doing presentation drills, right? Do magazine reload drills, like spend some time, go through the process. It's not overnight. It's a course of, you know, a few, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Eventually, you will be proficient. Eventually, you're going to master your craft. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing, man. I'm all about the long, the long game now. I'm old, now I'm a bit older and a bit wiser. Every single thing I'm doing right now in my life is the long game. Everything, be it investment, be it diet, be it workout. Like I don't want, and that's it. This is the thing. Now I'm a, now I'm a civilian. I'm not the biggest guy, but I could take steroids and I could get results like that in a matter of three months. I'd be massive. I'd be jacked, but. I'm, that's not me. I'm all about the long game. I'd rather just do it. Maybe it takes five years to get to the, to get to a good size that I'm I'm happy with. But you know, I also don't really give a fuck about how I look, or <laughs> as long as I can do what I, what I want to do and do it well. Like that's that's the key focus for me. But yeah, long game for me is everything. But it's so hard to tell young people. Or to even even when you are young to try and understand the value of you know playing the long game, mm -hmm. you know it takes somebody to tell somebody who's understood it to to pass that message down to you. No one passed it down to me. I learned it myself. Um, but you know, like it's, I don't know what the answer to that is. Maybe just uh, seeing more senior guys spending more time with their trips or whatever. I don't know. 
And maybe it's just the people you hang around with. If you always hang around with just Marines or privates, then you're, you're not broadening your horizons. Maybe just go and talk to a, a platoon leader to say, do you mind if I just sit and have a chat with you for 20 minutes or, you know, or one of the senior NCOs or one of the, you know, squad leaders or whatever and just say, hey, you know, not be afraid to go and say, you know, what you, what you doing financially because you're obviously living well. Like, what are you doing with your food because you're obviously in good shape. What are you doing here? You know, if you if you ask questions, people will give you the answers. And if you want something and you see someone's got it, ask them how they fucking got it. Ask them to train you and maybe one day you'll get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, so the next thing I want to talk about uh, that you brought up was uh, in our text thread was staying ready and rigorous training yeah man uh it's like we don't get enough trigger time in the marine corps like when i was with the line company um uh, I w- i'd say I, we had a shooting package maybe once a month but still not enough right uh, it's it's quite cheap to go to the range in uh, in North Carolina where I live. Like, why not spend time your own time? Right. Like, I get it. Like, you need entertainment. Like, we're humans. Like, we need we need an escape. If you like going to the movies, hey, take your girlfriend to the movies, man, or go with the boys. Right. Hey, nothing wrong with the cheat meal, man. If you're if you if you absolutely love you know, uh, uh, pizza, like, Hey man, ha- like eat pizza. That's fine. Right. Um, nothing wrong with playing video games. Right? It's just a balance. Right? You can spend two hours playing, you know, Fortnite on your phone. That's fine. But then go ahead and spend two hours of your free time, you know, brushing up on knowledge. Like, why is it so hard for young Marines to un- or young service members to, to understand that? Right. And again, like we used to do PTs all the time, but but sometimes like we're busy as a battalion, right? There's a lot going on, and you spend sometimes you spend like a week or two weeks without PT, and like you're cut at like sixteen hundred. Why do you have to go to your room, get shit faced, and play video games? I get it, man. You want to play video games? Play video games for like two hours, and and save the alcohol for like a Friday night. If it's, a, you know, if it's like a Wednesday, 1600, you got cut. Hey, put on your flak and go for a two-mile run. Like, make sure your, your body is ready. Make sure, you know, mentally you're ready, right? Make sure you have the knowledge. Right? It, it's, it's, it's like people don't understand. Like, they, they, they think it's, it's hard to stay ready. It's not. It, it's just, it's maintenance. Right? Hey, make sure you have the discipline. Like, wake up early, go PT. You know, eat right because you are literally what you eat. If you eat like crap, it's gonna show. Like you, you might look good because you're you're young, and you're stud, and you have the good genetics, right? But if you eat like shit, you're not gonna perform. You're gonna fall out from a hike. I can guarantee you that. So like, watch what you eat. You want a cheat meal? That's fine. Eat your cheesecake. Eat your chocolate cake. Whatever. But like for the most part, try to eat healthy, right? And brush up on the knowledge. Play your video game, FaceTime your girlfriend, do all that. That's good. That's part of life, right? Have the relationships, connect with friends, have a social life, but make sure you're spending time 
sharpening the sword, right? And like you said, ask, ask some people, right? Ask for mentorship. Talk to some people, right? Like if, if you hang out with douchebags, people that complain all the time, you eventually you're going to be a douchebag complaining all the time, right? But if you hang out with, you know, mature people, like eventually that, that's the kind of people you're going to become. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. So you, you mentioned sharpening, the, sharpening the, the tip of the spear there. What are you doing? What Let's just say, let's just give two things that you're, you're proactively doing to, to do that for yourself and for your career. Right, brother. Uh, so I read 41 books since January 1st, 2020, right? And I love reading, right? My brother hates reading. Uh, my brother is uh, going through police academy in South Florida right now. Hates reading. So what he does is when he works out, he listens to audiobooks. That's his way of, you know, getting the knowledge. Like, I love reading. So, like, I make sure that I read. Like, one of my, uh, I'd say one of my squad leaders, he wasn't my squad leader, but he was a squad leader in my platoon during my first deployment. And uh, he influenced me in, in some good ways. And he challenged me for the deployment. He's like, hey, man, why don't you try reading one book every week? Okay, I'll give it a try. And since that deployment till today, if I have the time, right, because sometimes we spend, you know, 10 days in the field. But if I have the time, I've read one book every week. Right? That's nuts. I, then, uh, I just finished one today, and that was my 12th. So I thought I was on, on good steading, but <laughs> clearly not. That's great. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Like, I, I make sure, like, I brush up on knowledge, right? Like, like I'm 30 years old. And uh, I'm currently going to uh, uh, AMU, American Military University, getting my master's degree in ancient military history. And like, I, I'll never stop learning. And now I find the time. Like, people always say, hey, dude, like, I don't have the time. That's bullshit. Like, it's all a matter of priority. Right? Is this important enough uh, to you? Because if it is, you're going to find the time. Right? I have a wife and I have two kids. And I'm lucky because my wife, really really supports my my lifestyle so i'm going to college and i read all my spare time and i still find time to spend time with my family and, and, and with the kids and you know go out whatever so i'd say hey brush up with the knowledge like go back to the books and that means like publications right that means like a, a, a military uh knowledge and doctrine right so tactics strategy all that stuff like unit sop um, brush up on the knowledge. Another thing is is physical fitness. Like you said, I mean, like I have I have a dead body, right? And um, I don't train for the looks. I train for performance, right? And I haze myself. Like my, all my neighbors think I'm 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 uh, one of my neighbors called me Dexter. He thinks I'm a serial killer because every time I'm running with a stroller, two kids, and I have a flak with sappy blades. And I'm running, and I do at, li at least five kilometers, which is like a lap around my, my neighborhood. Um, I do a bunch of hikes throughout the – like sometimes I wake up like 0, 4 in the morning on a Saturday, and I go for a 20K, right? Because why not? You know, I have the time. I'm not doing anything. My family is sleeping. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a good weather outside. So haze yourself. Like, you know, spend some time physical fitness. If you don't know, learn it. There's a lot of good content and information out there. You just got to look for it. Just ask the question.
But yeah, I'd say brush up on the knowledge and, you know, just haze yourself on your free time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I do the exact same. So when I was, I started reading when I was 27 before then, I had never read a, f- a full book in my life. Bearing in mind, I went to high school and I passed high school somehow without reading a book. But um, I started reading a book because I felt like my brain was going to mush. I genuinely felt like I was struggling to communicate with people. I was struggling to like verbalize and uh, I was losing eloquency when I was like talking and, you know, bringing out words that I knew I knew, but I just couldn't pick them out. I've still got, I feel like I've still got a little bit of an issue there. But man, it was getting really, really bad where I was like talking to people and I just was like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, how do I put this sentence together? So uh, I always knew reading was very good for your brain engagement. So I started reading. And then since then, I've read every single day, literally every single day, regardless of what I've been doing, at least, at least something. Sometimes I've been, I've, I've picked up the, the book looked at it and fell asleep. But I've read at least a paragraph before I fell asleep, you know? Um, Most days I'm getting about half an hour to 45 minutes in. On days when I'm off work, maybe an hour. Um, And then days when I'm really bored for whatever reason, I'll maybe get an hour and a half spread over two, 45 minutes, something like that. But um, yeah, reading for me has been amazing. And... um, what else was I said? What was I? Where was I going with this? Yeah, reading and then physical fitness. Yeah, so the physical fitness portion. So I actually said to my buddy who is episode five of this the podcast. Uh, he's a marine as well. He's uh, me and him are we're, we're the same age, and we are the same personality, very similar to yourself where we're struggling now when we're civilians because we don't have anything that fucks us up like we used to get when we're in the military. We would do these crazy log runs and stretcher runs and, you know, you'd be on exercise for six days with little sleep. When you're a civilian, you don't get any of that. So your brain's not being tested. You're not having to, you know, struggle with the mental torment of life. You know, you're not getting it. Life's just so fucking easy. So I told him, I says, look, I need to find something I need to find anything that's going to fucking punch me in my face, get me fucking get get me the taste of my own blood again. I need to I need to get something that's going to fuck me up again. Um, and we both decided well, I did, we both decided on that we we're going to start doing jujitsu. He's up 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 in Scotland. I'm down in London. So um, and COVID's on, so we can't actually get it started. But uh, we we decided literally as COVID came in that we were going to start. Um, but I just need someone to beat me up, man. And, and, and the reason why is so that I can train my brain to deal with hard situations again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to start doing uh, jujitsu, not because I want to become, join the bandwagon of being on, you know, ex-military jujitsu, all this bullshit. It's just so someone can beat me up in a controlled manner where I'm not going to die. <laughs> um, yeah, there's value to being to hardship. And it's probably the that's probably where I've gained the most value in my life is through hardship, because it's it's allowed me to be become more humble, more confident, um, more compassionate to others, um, 
just it, it is so weird that the hardest things in your life make you a nicer person. <laughs> yeah, brother, I 100% agree with you. Um, and there's something that money cannot buy, which is uh, it's like willpower. And I think that's that's my money maker because, dude, I I was 24 when I joined the military. I'm 30 years old now, but every time we have some sort of competition, right, with with my unit, um, it's, it, it could be like a a, a, a long ass hike, right, or some like obstacle course or something, right. I see like these like young kids and they're studs, like they look like athletes chiseled like these dudes that look like they can bench whatever it's like it's insane but like they quit and i'm here like with like three surgeries on my left side like my body's all sorts of fucked up like my ankle my knees my back old as fuck right with the dead body and, and i i finish it and I'm, I'm like one of the first ones it's not because i don't feel pain it's just because like i have the mindset not to quit yeah you know, and, and and that comes through hardship, man. That comes through life experience, and you can't buy that. You can't mimic that. You can't teach that. Right? Mm. And yeah, I mean, I think like that's that's where like we shine. Like being older, right? That's when we shine. Like these young dudes, and it's it's sad because I look at them like, dude, like you can accomplish so much if you just you know stop quitting. Yeah. Just keep going like one foot after the other like it can guarantee you like your body will be able to handle it just keep going you'll make it it's uh it's crazy obviously this is the this is the the pain of life but mm -hmm. crazy that you could that if you could go back to when you were younger and have the knowledge that you have now how, like how much your life would be changed for the better because okay. of just what you know now Obviously, that's the pain of life that you can't do that, but you can definitely do it. To, you can definitely give that to others, uh, and I'm more than willing to to give my opinion, my views, and my my support to others. Um, but it's the people, the people who, the younger guys who are, you know, these unmotivated people. They don't know that they need to look for that. You know, which again is the problem if if the guy doesn't know he needs to look for it and that there's, there is actually a different mentality that he, he, he probably should be living his life by, how does he then seek it? Well, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about the leadership with the guys and it should be passing on these messages and stuff like that. Um, and I, I don't know if I... I don't know if I necessarily passed on so much knowledge in terms of life knowledge because... I would say that I never really fully gained it until I was a little bit older. And by then I was kind of like out of the mix of the, the squad and stuff like that, um, set, uh, out of the section. But um, I definitely passed on what I knew. I definitely tried to bring guys on. Um, but in the past past couple of years, like my, the amount of knowledge I've gained through things like reading, through things like listening to podcasts, and being open-minded enough to listen to people's opinions and views that I don't agree with. That's been something that is, um, that's been pretty impactful in my life. Like consciously, consciously being willing to listen to someone that I know I don't agree with, but I just want 
to listen to what they've got to say to see if I can find something that I can agree with. And even if I don't agree with, just accepting their opinion. Uh, it's been brilliant for my own personal um, growth. Yeah, I think I think most most times we end up teaching like young uh, service members by our actions more than like our words. Right? I, uh, I remember one of my first company commanders. We were doing fast rope training in a tower, going up and down a rope. Um, it started raining, and it's it's like it's like a, a base rule that you you can't use that facility when it rains. Um, it's just dangerous. So we kicked the, the training exercise. Uh, but the thing was we had an entire company out there and only three buses showed up to pick us up. So he made the decision, hey, three platoons are gonna go back on the, the buses and then one platoon is gonna hike. And it was my, my platoon. And our company commander, mind you, like he drove to the training facility. Like he drove, his car was like right there. He left his car and he hiked with us several miles. Right? And when, when he got there, uh, he asked for a ride to pick his car up. And it's like, he didn't open his mouth. He never gave us a class. But like I learned a lot from just witnessing, just looking at what he did. Right? Yeah. Uh, so in his mindset, it's like, hey, one of my units will have to walk back. I'm going to walk. And he walked in. He led the entire hike. Right? It was pretty motivating. Like we had a, our flag and it was raining. We had like a, our weapon systems and it, it was pretty motivating. Right? And I learned a lot just by, just by observing. Right? So I think like we, we do a lot of like you, you did a lot of teaching um, just like through your actions. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. Um I mentioned a few things previously on podcast on uh, other episodes. Um, one thing that comes to mind just is on 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 PT is jumping on a log and literally ripping it, you know, with all the force that you've got and just giving a a, a ten second burst of energy um, and the amount of motivation that your troops or um, that you know the guys behind you who are struggling are going to get out of that. Some guys are going to be like, "What the fuck is going on right now?" Because I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm already at the limit. Like, there's no more coming at me. But other guys who are, who have got more to give, or you know, they'll be kicking into second gear and, you know, trying their hardest to, you know, put their own little effort into, you know, putting a little bit more energy in and getting a log running. But I learned that though. That was a skill that I learned when I was in basic training. My the search commander who's who's training us jumped on the log and started ripping it and i was like jesus christ this guy's got so much energy obviously at the time he wasn't doing what we were doing and he just jumped on for 10 seconds and ripped it but i, I then i then learned that that's like that's a that impacted me in a way that i could then use in the future and impact on some other guys so take those lessons when you find them and keep them and pass them on when you when you get an opportunity Right, well, I think um, I think we'll probably wrap it up there. It's been a long night um, with technical issues to start off with. But, Pete, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time out of your night to, to sit down and do this. I, I've had an absolutely fantastic discussion there on a whole bunch of bunch of topics. Um, yeah, um, it, was, it was my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you, and I really appreciate what you do. I think 
this like tight community uh, is what keeps us sane, right? And I have a lot of a lot of friends that you know left and they're civilians and they miss it. And this is the community that that makes them sane, right? And you're familiar with the whole like suicide rate, and like I appreciate what you do. I think it's an awesome initiative and you you have some amazing content out there yeah yeah well we're, we're looking to keep it just uh infantry specific because that's what i know it's my fucking podcast i get to decide um <laughs> that's not to say that guys who who aren't infantry can't come and listen and take take what they want from it um but the guests that we'll be getting on are uh and it's it's uh aimed and my target audience is infantry guys from all walks of life and from all ages and you know from the youngest guy right now 18 year old who might be based in i don't fucking know okinawa right now um to the the guy who is in korea or someone like that who might pick it up one night he's watching youtube or something like that i don't know but um you got anything that you want to to wrap it up on no brother i think we uh hit the nail on the head right well i'm actually going to take the opportunity to to say rest in peace to the, the the nine Marines or the nine guys who were sadly lost earlier this year in a training incident when their amphibious assault vehicle uh, sank off the uh, west coast. And yeah, so this one's for you boys until Valhalla. Hell yeah. Appreciate that, man. <laughs>